Hi, everyone. Welcome to Office Hours. If you're watching on YouTube, you can find out more about what we do at officehours.global. Our first hour is general discussion about media production. And our second hour is usually something we want to spend a little bit more time on. And today we're going to have uh, Corey Benke uh, talking about the virtual video control room service. Uh, he's going to show us basically the live streaming tool that LiveX has been building um, that's going to help you control, round, and monitor live streams in ultra-low latency from around the world. So I think it's going to be a great, great second hour. So if you've got questions about that, uh, go ahead and take a look at it and um, put those questions in or, or you can put them in, in the second hour. You can put questions in all through the first hour. In fact, you can use this little this little QR code here um, and uh, or just go to askofficehours.com and you can throw que general questions in all through the uh the show, you can even throw them in between the shows, and then we'll go through them and pull them into the into the show as we can. So uh, go ahead and throw those questions in, and let's go ahead and jump into the first question. Mitch, what do we have? Thanks, Alex. Uh, first question in from Jens Olson in Sandpoint, Idaho. With USB-C now on the iPhone, does the Mix Pre 3 and ATEM work over that USB connection? And how complete of an office hour setup can you do on an iPhone or iPad? Bill? I think, Jens, that you're jumping the gun just a little bit. I, uh, my first friend, George Kennedy Jr., who's here on the show with us occasionally, uh, posted that he actually got his in an Apple store the other day. I think they're just landing now. So the complex interrelationships between how they've implemented everything, how USB f really functions, particularly with a mix pre and the ATEM and things like that, I think you're going to take a few more days before we get a lot of feedback from the real world about that. My assumption is that Apple usually does a good job of integration. So so fingers crossed, but I don't know of anybody who knows that specifically. Uh, we've actually had USB Pre 2s, which are much older, connected to older iPhones. So my guess is it probably will be. I've never tried to do a mixed Pre, and there could be some power issues or power supply issues. Uh, if it's running on a battery, I think a mixed Pre 3 most likely will work as far as the connection goes. Um, as Bill said, it's hard to know until we test it. Um, we'll wait for Jason to test it today. Later today, <laughs> so we'll. So if you ask, um, a little, mine's coming a little later, so um, I missed the window by a little bit. So, um, but we'll definitely test that. I do know absolutely that the mix pre works with the iPad, so the USB C should get us a long way there. Next question, Eric Hers in Hartford, Connecticut. Thoughts about the new partnership between Netflix and SK Telecom? It goes beyond an open connect dispute and might be the start of a broader Netflix IPTV strategy. How can they compete against open connect? Well, I think that Netflix, I think around the world, looks at who they can partner with and how they can partner with them um, to um, figure out a way to, um, you know, be as ubiquitous as possible, whether that's going into TVs or, or partnering with others for IPTV. So I think you can expect to see more of this. By the way, SK Telecom, for people who don't know, is from is the Korean Telecom. And um, and so that's, uh, but I think that that, and Korea is a pretty unique place <laughs> as far as, uh, it's kind of like going into the future. So I think that part of this is that there, you know, there's a lot of things that are very specific to Korea that they're taking, they're taking advantage of or adjusting to as they, as they move forward. Next question. From Jeff Cohen at Miami Beach, Florida, uh, Jeff asked, Apple just added support for USDZ 3D objects to pages, numbers, and USDZ embedded animations in Keynote. What's your take on how they'll evolve all these boring documents into AR and Vision Pro? Good, John. Alex posted this yesterday on Twitter. I quickly tried it in Keynote. Didn't work. I had to update, I had to update my Keynote. And then I got to work and I did a short and then Alex produced a video and blew mine out of the water. 
<laughs> I've been I, I've been talking about what it can do, what it could do for about 20 years. So it was like I just very quickly, Jason sent me, uh, Jason will talk in a second, but Jason sent me a ping that said USDZ is in key- Keynote. And I was like, what? And so I downloaded it, uh, threw it in there, threw a model in, and then just felt like I should do a video really quickly. So Because I realized people won't understand why I've been so excited about it. And so I was just like, I just need to do a video. And I don't think there's anything else on YouTube right now because I don't think other people have really it really hit people what what is going to happen um, I'll show you a little bit about what um, the the document that I that I actually use for that little video just so you get a sense of it um, let me uh, cut to this here let's see here boom, boom. so here's the here's what you can do now so this is just I just pulled this this 3d model off of um, Apple's uh, website and if I go over let me see if I can uh, get this here I'm gonna hit play just so you can kind of see um, so that, that's just a standard 2D pop. That's not anything that, that, that is done for 3D. So you haven't seen it change at all. But I can do this now. So this is, and, and I, if I hit this, I can, this is 2D now. Going over it, this is the needle, this is the horn, whatever you want to have there. Um, and then if I want to show it over here, this is, I can put the crank. And the key here is that, that all of this is done, uh, I just pulled this model in, and was able to do this in about 10 minutes. So this was, you know, and, and again, it's, so that's a really powerful solution. Now, if I look at it, if we go, if we, if we um, pull back a little bit here, uh, you know, what, what happens is I can just simply grab onto this and just move it around like this. So this is, this is my, um, uh, my ability to kind of manipulate it. It's very, I don't know, I'm going to test like how heavy a model I can put in, but it's very performant um, on, on what I have right now. It just feels very light. Um, like it's not not working at all, so so that's um, uh, that's what I have here now to get from one look to another, wherever I wherever I leave this, to get to another look. Now I can also grab it as a two D object and just move it around. Now you can't move your three D camera position or change any of those things. So it's really designed to be a very simple thing. Now the the thing that's important is while I did all these animations, what's interesting here is that. You know, just think about your animations and, oh, I really wish this was turned the other way so that I could put it over here, you know, and I can, you know, level it out and so on and so forth. I will say that the tools to level it out are little, because you, you don't have like a way to, that I know of to lock to X, Y, Z. I mean, there's all things that 3D artists are used to that um, take a little bit of time that, that you know, I'll, but, but you can see how as a, you could have one object in a presentation and be showing it from different angles, you know, based on what you're talking about or how you're talking about it. Um, and so it's it's really, really easy to use. The When you think about what's possible there, you just want to think about the, the idea that I think that for, if I'm going to do demos of my products, this is a really, really easy way to throw those demos together. So if I have a, you know, a, a Mix Pre 3, for instance, if, if sound devices had a 3D model and almost all these objects have CAD drawings, so you just have to clean them up a little bit. And you could be sitting there rotating around and you could go through the hard work of building a 3D model, but a office assistant could do what I just did. You know, so so you could really have anybody building these little these nice little demos and just have these little arrows pointing towards them. This is how this works, and this and you have it zoom up, and this is how this works, and this is how this works, and so on and so forth. And so I think that that that's incredible for product demos. It's incredible for education. Uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot that you could be showing and having it pop in and out. Um, uh, for you know, you know, for teachers, this is a whole new 
new uh, platform for them to show objects. Um, and then and then for, you know, for promos, demos, education, how-tos, all of these things. YouTubers that want to show how something works is now in an entirely different space. I think this is also version one. I think you'll see, you know, like with anything else, you're going to see um, a lot of new tools that will probably come out over time. The way Apple does it, it'll, they'll probably be hidden. You hold down some key or you go over something else and that type of thing. But I think that um, it's... Uh, it's a really, really powerful tool. Uh, go ahead, uh, Jason. Yeah, I mean, uh, first thing I thought, oh man, Alex's guy just wasted Alex's afternoon. And yeah, you know, I didn't have much time, oh. so I really the whole thing from the time you sent me the email or the or Discord it to the like time the hour. video it was like a half an hour. Half an hour, like I from the time I saw it to the time it was on YouTube was about a half an hour because I was like, I got to put something up right now. So. Yeah. Uh, um, by the way, if you select the image, you can actually go along one axis, you know, X, Y, or Z. If you click on uh, click on the turntable, the second menu over says 3D object, and that'll give you your uh, X, Y, Z transform. Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, you see, this is, this is the... Uh, yeah, there you what go. What he's talking about here is I can, I can grab this and... Uh, you can't scroll it for some reason, but yeah, yeah there you go. And I do see in the video, I do say in the video that it, it, it is better. It's, it's anti-aliasing is better um, than, it, than uh, motion, but it's not, it's still, it does. I, I looked at it again. Yeah, but it, Alex, what's that like, file size? I mean, if you duplicated that object, it, that whole keynote presentation is what? Oh, seven megabytes with dynamic lighting. That's the real benefit yeah. is how much lighter these are. They don't have to be pre-rendered. Yeah. And that's that's the real magic. Well, the, the aliasing is is something that I, I, I really feel like Apple could fix, which is the there's just oh, a little bit of aliasing that goes on where they're turning off the anti-aliasing and then they snap it back on as soon as you stop moving. Uh, they've been doing that in preview for a while. Go ahead, Courtney. Hasn't PowerPoint had this in PowerPoint for about the last four or five years. And has anyone used it? I haven't seen anyone. That's my question is I don't understand the sudden uh, interest in this. And it doesn't support, I don't think PowerPoint supports three uh, USDZ, but it does support OBJ files and other, you know, four or five other 3D file formats. But you can insert a 3D object into any PowerPoint presentation and rotate it around, zoom in, do all of those things. And you've been able to do that for a number of years now. Yeah, I think that the I've seen some of the demos in PowerPoint. One of the big differences between USDZ and, and OBJ is that it's able to carry um, a lot more information. So the texturing information, some of the lighting, um, like I don't think OBJ you can send lighting, so it's always going to be the same lighting as it comes in. Um, and um, you can adjust so, in the 3D viewer in Microsoft. You can adjust the lighting, change the lighting. Just 17 clicks in, in, Alex. Get it right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that what what will happen is is that. Uh, you know, when I opened it, I, I don't, I don't know what it's like now. You're absolutely right. It's been around for a while because I opened it in um, PowerPoint and I was like, I don't know how I would use this. You know, it was just a lot of, <laughs> at least when it first came out, there was a lot of clickety clicks, which is something that's kind of PowerPoint's kind of known for. And I was like, well, no one's going to get through this. And then I went back to what I was doing. And so um, the, uh, and I think that the issue is, is that what Apple's done that, that Microsoft didn't do is. They built an entire pipeline to build USDZ models that can go into this. So that you know, the they have a you know entire library inside the phone to do photogrammetry. And you know, if I you know the like who's going to go download an OBJ file to you know to to do that? That's a, that's an average person in business. You know, well, and there's so, a bunch of bunch of file bunch of images built in. Mm -hmm. You just select from the built in. If you if uh, you have something generic that you just don't ask have. Clippy. Static. As long as it's Clippy, well, it'll work perfectly. 3D Clippy. And and I think that they also, you know, uh, 
they didn't, you know, I think the number one thing is that they didn't promote it very well. And so it's one of the reasons that I put the video up um, well, very true. quickly. <laughs> and, and they I'll did put more deprec- videos up. Uh, you know, they did include it. There was a 3D viewer in every version of Windows, mm-hmm. Windows uh, but yeah. they deprecated it. And they no longer surface it. You can download it from the store for free, but they never. Uh, now they don't include it with Windows 11. So yeah, right. they they put it in there for a while, and then they deprecated it as a built-in feature. Uh, yep. So it still works, but you just have to download it. I, I was surprised that Apple didn't um, release all the objects in 3D, but I, I think that they might have. They're, hopefully, they're leaving that for other people. But that that uh, I, I had talked to a series of people going, "Hey, if you if you." build a little collection of 3D models, you know, people would probably pay for them the first couple of weeks because uh, they just want to see them work. Um, and uh, so I think there's probably, a, but we, we talked about Well, this think about ago. emojis, right? I mean, the entire ASCII emoji character set could pretty easily be transformed. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, again, I think this is step one. I hope, hopefully, you know, people like me will be sending lots of requests um you know right now you can't for instance just animate it to have it just moving you know it, it needs to you're, you're using magic move to get it to each position so and there's no way to do like the basic animations and so on and so forth um so there's you know it it is of you know it, i think there's a, a lot of places for it to grow so i think it'll be good yeah, go ahead mitchell did you say request and my question is can it play stairway to heaven no no it cannot uh, not this one uh, you probably could you could put an audio file in there and hit the button and then it would play um, go ahead, Chris. I found Courtney's comment super interesting. And Courtney, I'm not trying to bash on you, but here we go. Um, <laughs> but I am. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it, the response was, and this is historical, the response is, oh, well, yeah, well, that's in Windows. And it, and it reminds me very much as uh, of Windows 95, the rollout, going, look, it's just like a Mac. No, it's not. It has a mouse. It's got windows and it's got a little trash can. And other than that, it's a lot different. And and I think it's, it's you know what, Courtney, the minute I do a B video, PowerPoint is my tool. But can I make, can I make that, that thing? Anyway, um, I, I think what's interesting is there is, there's sort of a, 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 a Microsoft Windows sort of mentality. I'm going to give you a million knobs and a million things and a million things whatever. And then there's the Mac thing, the Mac mentality, which is like, I'm going to give a creative person enough that they feel like they're being creative and we'll, and we'll see how it goes. And then we'll give you more later. It doesn't bother me that you can use a magic move. How many people are going to learn about magic moves because of this feature? Right. Yeah. Um, and, and yes, it could be more and it will be more. I mean, I'm the one who very famously in 1990 saw the first QuickTime movie pre-release and and I said to the guy this will never be a real thing ever look at us now yeah I I think that the um the issue it will always come down to we'll see what Apple does but the issue will always come down to what is you know how do they promote it and how do people like a like people like me promote it, but, but, you know, and, and this will be something that making sure people know that it's out there, I think is the important thing. Um, and I, and I think that, um, I do think that it's going to be, uh, and, and Apple does a lot of things where they do things that other people have done. They just, what they're better at is interface. So user interface. And I think that a lot of folks 
think that, unif- that if, if the button's there, then that's good enough. And Apple figures out why the button's there, you know, how, what, what the space is around it, how many buttons do you actually need? Uh, do you need that button at all? Does it need to be there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, again, as a, I would have been tempted as a, if I was developing this for this product to add like eight more buttons to it or, or a bunch of other features and Apple didn't do it. And so I can immediately know that it's missing, but, but it is, I will admit, extremely easy to use. And, and I will say that, that that's the thing about Keynote that in general, it's just, it is, there is so much hidden in the, in Keynote, um, that, that I, every, every once in a while, there's things that you can do, for instance, in the iPad version that you can't do in the desktop version. Like you can just draw, you can just take your pen and grab onto an object and go like this. I just want to go like this with the pen and it just builds a motion path <laughs> you know, in, 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 in your, in your thing. And, and so those are the kind of things that are, that are there. So I, I, I think it's a pretty interesting product and I think it's going to be, uh, if people like us talk about it, I think that you will, um, more people will understand, um, why it might be useful. And maybe that's all that was missing for PowerPoint. I go ahead, Bill. There's also a piece that, you know, the, the armies of people who use PCs and the armies of people who use Macs, they're both gigantic and they're out there. They are a little bit, I feel different. Not that there's one that's better than another. I'm not saying that at all, but, Typically, the way Macs got themselves into the corporate suite was the creative departments, one way or another. Again, I want to just emphasize this. I'm not saying that people who use PCs are not creative. That is stupid, and nobody who's seen major motion pictures done on PCs would ever say that. But I do think that that because, specifically in the business world, those people came in and adopted the iconic drag-and-drop kind of stuff quicker because I think they were a little more visual I think those people will be the people who will take this and say, oh, I'm really comfortable with that. This is the kind of work I do every day. And so if I see a capability inside software that I'm using for business purposes that lets me be a little more artistic, they will do it. A third time, but I want to make sure that people say I'm not saying it's better. But I do think there are differences in people who gravitate to these two camps and Alex, that was an exceptional demo. And I just want to tell you that right out front. You used a tool that I had never seen in a program that I used often. And when you zoomed in and created the lines fluidly in a way that made visual sense to me as a demo, I just went, I got to look at that. I've never done that. I have to look at that. That is really cool. That helps me understand what you were doing, which was describing a part of a larger thing in a way that kept me connected and kept me watching it. That was fabulous. Thanks. Go ahead, Chris. I particularly like the double spline on the little lines. Um, yeah, they were. Uh, <laughs> I, I was, I was going to say, I would love it. It, it, it would have been really cool if Apple had released like 10,000 things, including old things like I'd like to see a USD Z version of Bruce the Yak. (laughs) (laughs) Three dimensional. (laughs) This is is what Apple's very clever at. This is a step in the direction of the ecosystem, right? So you're going to use your iPhone. You're going to capture objects in 3D. You're going to be able to bring them into Keynote. You're going to be able to further articulate the storytelling, and then you're going to be able to play everything back on your vision pro and you know the the thing that's interesting about this is that the when you want to look at is the is the the progression here so apple i think announced usdz in 2016 almost eight years ago 
and then that they were supporting, I think it was either 2016 or 2017, but many years ago. Then they have been working with all these developers to build USDZ solutions. Um, they build a thing to convert things and a, a thing to build things and so on and so forth. So they, they built this whole foundation for all of these things. And then they're rolling out the AR and they built an entire subsystem just to do, just to turn things into objects. Um, and, and I think, again, if you think about a salesperson now, again, you know, opening up their iPad and being able, I, iPads, by the way, now support um, ProRes. <laughs> That's another thing that happened yesterday, um, you know, in, inside of Keynote, which has been a problem for some of us. Um, and so, but the, um, I think that this is going to be, and, and again, I think that the, the other thing is, is that I do think that there's a difference between Keynote users and PowerPoint users and PowerPoint users who use a lot more text than Keynote users. Keynote users tend to be very visual because we tend to watch a lot of Apple Keynotes. And so we have a lot less text in our, in our documents, I think a lot of times. Um, and, uh, you don't have anywhere to put a 3D model when you have all that text on the screen. <laughs> so, so anyway, so I, you know, that's, I think that might be part of it. And it's, again, I think it's a culture of who's using it and how. Uh, next question. Next one coming in as, as a QR question from Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. Two martial artists I know want to use two iPhone 14s to film advanced Wing Chun tutorials, and they're trying to find the best angles to choose from. It will depend on every... Uh, move. <laughs> so there's no good, you know, there's a, there is a, you know, there are some, some that you probably are going to want to use, which is a top down and a, I've done a little bit of this for somebody um, and uh, a top down and a side, but of course it matters, you know, so if you're going to do anything, it's going to be one up and one to the side that's going to capture it. Um, but it's going to change based on the moves. And so you're going to have to, um, you know, figure out what those what those are. Um, you may end up trying to do it a couple different times and shoot it in different angles to try to find the one. Um, oftentimes from a, from a, while not from a cost perspective, but from a labor perspective, oftentimes having, you know, four or five cameras um, makes uh, more sense so that you, you have a lot of coverage. Um, but but it's still, even with the four or five cameras, you won't always get a perfectly unincluded or, un, uh, or you know, occlusion that you have to worry about. Go ahead, uh, Chris. Chester, I'm not going to lie. I don't know what Wing, Wing Chun is, but I do know how to over under a power cable. And I've many times I've thought about shooting a tutorial on how to do it. And what may be of interest is if you are watching it, you're going to have one angle. But if you're doing it, you have that POV, you know, the, uh, you know, they have a, I don't know what it's called, but GoPro has a thing that you just bite it and you can like go surfing with it and just shove it in your mouth. Um, but that angle, if I was going to do an over-under tutorial, this is how to wrap a power cable if, if you don't know, uh, I would want to see it from my angle. And whenever I show people how to do it, I always stand next to them. I go, look over my shoulder. Here you go. This, this is how it works. You go like this and then like this and this. Anyway, so I would think POV might play into what you're doing. And yeah, if you have, you know, just throw in another phone if you need another angle. But um, this is actually the thing that Google Glass was the best at. So Google Glass, you put it on. And the problem with what you're talking about is when you, when you hang on to that phone, you don't know what you're shooting. You can't see it. And so what was great about Google Glass is that you had a camera and then you had a little screen that just appeared in front of you and you could, you'd look up at it and you'd do your thing, do your POV thing. And I did a bunch of training that way. And it was, and when you stream it, what was really cool is I could, I, we did one before they turned it off. I 
I, know, I won't get into that, but they turned off the ability for us to talk back and forth to each other. Um, and uh, people were not using it the way they should. Um, anyway, so um, anyway, so what, what I could do is I could show somebody else that was connected to me, um, the, my point of view, and they could show me theirs. And so I, they would be, we were, I actually showed someone how to use a camera like a thousand miles away where I just went, I need you to turn this. And they go, what, this one? And I go, no, 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 this one over here. And, I, and we're both looking at what we're doing and talking about it. And it was magical, you know, and, um, and, but, but being able to do POV recordings was a big deal. I think that one of the, handful of uses that people are going to use the 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 new apple uh, vision pro for is that kind of thing because you can hit record and now now you're just seeing through your system and being able to just talk about how to do it it's capturing 3d but you'll be able to throw away the right eye if you want to and you'll be able to have a pov recording and i actually think that the kind of training that chris is talking about will be something that's very easy to do with that device go ahead bill Chester, if I was doing something like that, because these are bodies in 3D space, I would definitely have one of my phones on a jib or something similar, and then I would have them rehearse and go through these things. Uh, we talked on one of the, the Thursday shows about blocking, and that is determining where people are going to be in a space that you're shooting and how to get exactly the right angle on them so that you can see what you need to see. So if there's something they're doing with an elbow and you want to focus on that, if the blocking is correct, you can make your move so that that is the emphasis of the shot before they actually do the move. And then with along with explanation, that's a very powerful training technique. But I, I see too many people who just want to put it up and have two martial artists go at it and then try to describe it afterwards. You can do that, certainly. It's a lot less work to do it that way. But if you really want to make great training things, you have to break down exactly what you're trying to show people and then get in so they can see that in the real world and have examples of it. There you go, Jason. Plus one on what Bill said. In this case, if you're doing an advanced tutorial with experts, they're the ones that know what needs to be seen. And I would really get with them and, um, and storyboard it with stick figures if you have to. Um, get a DJI uh, Osmo, you know, to, to put this iPhone on. Shoot it once, and um, by the way, it, it can actually do decent tracking. Like if you can actually set up your frame and tap, it will move in a in a way that you need it to. But it really, this is going to come down to how well are you planning it with the people that are actually on screen. And if if it's two guys that think they can just press record and then do their thing, it may be an advanced tutorial, but it's it's not gonna it's not really gonna help to just have stagnant cameras and you know one shot that you can cut between and i have done a fair bit of this in other uh, realms and i will say that that if you are able to find someone that will let you use a motion capture system motion capture is the best way to do this <laughs> so uh, what happens is you capture once and then you figure out where your camera angles are over time um, there are some idiosyncrasies that are hard hand motions and so on and so forth can be a little hard to, to you might have to go back and hand animate but um, generally 3d uh, 3d capture has been really really effective for that uh, and you might find some you know there are schools that have uh, like drexel that, that have um, motion capture systems that you know students might be able to work on with you um, but i think that it's uh, we've done a fair bit of motion capture and exercise based i used to have a 36 camera motion capture system just to do exercise based um, training uh, uh, so uh, so we we captured 400 motions of exercise with it and then a couple hundred motions of motion cap of, of martial arts and um, it really is the way to, to solve this in the best way. Next question. 
From Douglas Carmichael, what CDN streaming network platforms are most popular in the church market? You know, I, there is a, um, I don't have it off the top of my head. There is a company that has really uh, done a lot in this area for streaming, but I don't think that it, I mean, personally, I think a lot of churches use it um, because it's, it markets heavily into it. Um, but I, I don't know of any um, specific ones. I think that you have to decide what you what, what you need out of a CDN. So if you need it to be private, then you're probably looking at Vimeo. If you need it to just work well, um, then you can probably embed YouTube into it, and that means that you have an archive like we do here. Um, so those are a couple things that that I, you know to kind of consider um, as you as you work through that. Quick reminder, of course, is that you can uh, you can ask questions throughout the uh, first hour, um, general questions in the first hour, and you can use the little QR code or or just go to um, askofficehours.com. Uh, There's the QR code right there. And um, so you can you can uh, do that. And so that's a, um, that's a great way to answer the, ask those questions. We throw a couple of them in um, throughout the hour. Uh, and make sure to vote on the questions so we know what order you'd like us to ask them in. Uh, next question. And it's from Courtney Gooden in Hollywood, California, right here uh, sitting on our panel. Has anyone tried out the new CompactSure MVX2 XLR to USB-C, USB audio interface? Good, Courtney. Uh, yeah, they came out with a new one. They've had one of these for a while, but it was much bigger. Uh, the new one is looks like this. Uh, it's very compact. You don't have the controls on it. On the previous ones, they had little thumb wheels for adjusting the volume and your headphone volume and your mic volume, which was kind of dangerous if you were going to put it on the back end of the microphone because you I actually would hit those thumb wheels all the time. But this one, uh, you have to use it with their uh, Motive desktop app or whatever computer or there. I think there's an app that runs on iPhone or Android, um, so that you can control it if you're plugged into one of those devices. And the app lets you do things like adjust, you know, frequency response, compression. It has all that stuff, DSP functions built into it, as well as adjusting your uh, feedback level from the USB return, which it does have a headphone jack on the back of that thing. As tiny as it is, there's a little miniature headphone jack you can see there, um, along with the USB-C connector. So you can adjust your feedback from the and your mix level between the microphone itself and the return USB coming in. Looks interesting. There's only three reviews on the Sure site, so it's just now shipping. I was wondering if anybody had tried it out. It looks like a good uh, solution to change a you know SM58. It does do phantom power, so you could plug it into any condenser microphone or uh, dynamic microphone, and. Uh, turn it into a USB microphone. Be interesting to see if it works well with the new iPhones that have USB now enabled on them. USB-C. Go, Mitchell. I would say it's an interesting device because the, the probably the biggest problem that people have USB out on mics is getting enough volume, uh, enough amplification from the mic to get it into like Zoom or whatever. In fact, even the SM, uh, the uh, MV7 has that problem. So wouldn't it be cool to have an MV7 with XLR and USB? And then you plug that on top. Now you got two USB. Um, I wonder if that would work at all. Uh, Bill? If I was looking for another solution, I'd definitely take a serious look at that. This is the, that's about the size of the one. I had an MXL one that I used for field recording for a long time. Worked great. And so obviously they've gotten a lot smaller. I hope they don't do the same thing that USB uh, thumb drives do because they're down to like incredibly small. This is, I think, 32 gigs. And they're so easy to lose. <laughs> Give me that. I'm still looking for things that I can't just put on my desk and then they get knocked off and you never see it again. Yeah. In 
in uh, in the past, I had the er the earlier one, and I had a couple of them, and I kept. In fact, when I looked at it at Amazon, it says you purchased uh, something similar three times. So, uh, so I. I <laughs> I have, I have had this before, uh, and I kept that in my bag, and it 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 lasted a long time because I have to admit that it was in my bag all the time for almost a decade. Of uh, any time I need to plug in a, uh, you know, I need to get a mic into my computer system, I had one of these in my just hidden in the in one of my back pocket or in my hidden pockets in there just to make sure I had it. So the, it was very reliable, um, and um, and it worked very well. And so hopefully this one will work as well. Next question. Aaron Jen Corelli from Flagstaff, uh, Arizona, has a question. Does the USB-C on the iPhone or iPad support webcams like the OBSBOT Tiny? Uh, I have uh, successfully ha um, connected the OBSBOT to Tiny to the iPad, but not. I haven't tried the iPhone yet. So the iPad can see web uh, cameras. Uh, there's no control for it, but it, it will It will. Uh, pipe it through. Uh, but it, but it is, um, you know, now that I think of it, I'm not sure if I had the, it was the tiny that I put it, that I connected to it. It might've been another non PTZ version, but, um, but the, uh, but I have, I did do that as a test. Uh, the iPad now can see things that say that they're webcams and pump, pump them through. I have not been able to get the ATEM to show up in the iPad. So I've been still working on that and I don't know why. Uh, go ahead, Chris. And that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Did, yeah I can't get it to show up. Interesting. I know yeah. that Jack was experimenting with it, and uh, I didn't know what the answer was. Yeah, it, it, super cool. What I what I was excited about is the possibility that it would that it would do that, and also that it that potentially it would, um, uh, if it if it supported uh, the 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 ATEM Mini, it means that we could theoretically pipe into something like Instagram. And just say, this is my camera. <laughs> it happens to be an entire switch switching system on the other side. That's been kind of the dream since, um, you know, Instagram released their dumb rules about that. Go ahead, Courtney. Have you tried the Insta360 link plugged into your iPad? Uh, I have. Have not successfully. No control over it. You don't have the controls over the No control. Uh, I couldn't get video out of it. I, I no, couldn't. No, I, I, I realized I was when I said that I've only been able to successfully get fixed USB cameras. I've got like a pile of USB cameras here. And so mm -hmm. I only, only the, I can't remember which one it was, but a couple of them will work. And they, but they were not the non PTZ versions uh, seem to work. So the OBSBOT 4K or Mini 2 or whatever that I have and the Link 360, I could not get to work. I'm not saying that they don't work. I just couldn't get them to work. Uh, the fixed ones, I did get to work, and the and the I, ATEM, I did not get to work. And so we're still early days of, of that support, I think. Have, so. have you checked it with Insta360 or OBSBOT to see if there are drivers that would work with them? Because it may there, require a special driver beyond the regular standard USB. Yeah, you can't install a driver on, on, not on iPad. iOS. Oh. No, there's just it is what it is. So they have to figure out why they're not talking to it. But there's no driver. It's just it's just um, you know just. So we'll 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 see how that goes. But it, it it would be really interesting if we got further along. Yeah. Next question. Another incoming QR code question from Chester Sweeney in Las Vegas, Nevada. I'm trying to film cooking, and I start the blender, juicer, or grinder, and I can no longer be heard. Are there almost silent versions of these appliances? Good, Bill. Well, different brands do have different sound profiles, but I'd highly suggest don't look at it as something to manage at the appliance level. Look at it as something to adjust at the mic level. What you want to do is find some sort of mic, and the best for this circumstance would probably be a head-worn mic so that you place the capsule right next to your mouth, directly adjacent, the inverse square principle, which is physics, and all microphones are subject to it, means that you will be much more present than any environmental sounds if your mic is that close to you. 
also be worried, or not worried about, but be concerned with the fact that, you know, a little headset mic on a body pack transmitter rather than cables is probably the safest way to do kitchen work and things like that. But that's what I'd recommend. Uh, Jason? Chester, I think you're figuring out why all cooking shows will do this weird thing where they've got an over-under oven and they put the thing in the bottom oven and they pull the thing out in the you know at the top oven and, ooh, look, it's done. In this case, I think this is just a matter of staging. Some performers have a clever way to do this where they can cut medium-wide and, and will just you know, switch out the blender or, um, you know, switch the loud thing away. But yeah, um, pretty much what Bill's saying. And if you don't like it, then, then really just get another blender and have a before and after. Go Go ahead, Chris. I totally agree. Um, staging is, is absolutely part of it. I, I did a season, uh, working for Martin Yan on PBS, Yan Can Cook. And everything is very carefully choreographed. Also, Chester, I'm wondering if you're using the same iPhones as the last question that you asked. This is definitely what Bill mentioned, a reason to get the mic further from the cooktop, further from the appliances and closer to the, uh, to the chef's, uh, the cook's, the person's uh, mouth. Um, but... Somebody who knows what they're doing will do things in such a way where they will do their talking, they'll hit the blender, then they'll go do some cutting that doesn't have to have dialogue over it. Um, chore- chore- choreographing everything well will, will help. Go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, I agree, I agree with Chris. If you shot as a two-shot, one with and one without... Um, and then you did the voice track for that. Then you could do the cutaway to show the action, but you wouldn't be a two-shot with the device in it while they were talking. Just make sure while you're doing it, you get some room tone or the uh, sound of the device running so you could uh, put that under just a little so it doesn't sound strange to be totally silent. Courtney? Well, if you have a uh, RTX, uh, you know, 30, uh, I mean, uh, 30. 60 or 3070 RTX video card. You might look into NVIDIA's uh, NVIDIA RTX Voice. It's an app that runs uh, on PCs that have that video card in it. And it does noise removal like nobody's business. It, it, it models your voice. It listens to your voice for a few seconds. And then it just takes out everything else. And I've seen demos of it with people running leaf blowers three feet from them. And you can't hear the leaf blower. So it might be able to take out sounds like the grinder and the juicer and the blender and still allow you to talk over it. You maybe have, your people in the studio may have trouble hearing you, but the people outside on the other side of the app may be able to hear you clearly. So take a look at uh, our NVIDIA's RTX voice. Chris? I don't recommend this for what you're actually doing, but I will mention that last summer I was doing a lot of building in my garage, uh, woodwork, uh, with some of the guys that I was building for, uh, watching over my shoulder. I was using my AirPods just straight to my iPhone across Zoom, and I was astonished that I could fire up a table saw, I could fire up a router, I could fire up a miter saw, and as soon as the cutting would happen, Zoom would squash all that out. I couldn't talk during it, but I was very concerned. Are you sure this isn't too loud? Do I need to mute this? No, 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 it's fine, it's fine. And uh, John will tell you, I mean, it was astonishing how well Zoom 
muted that stuff out. And again, it muted me out a lot too, but um, it's an interesting problem. Yeah, next question. Matt Halverson from Brookings, South Dakota, wants to know, I watched a football highlight reel and the settings used were a Sony FX3, F2.8, 4K, uh, 120 frames per second, and shutter at 1 1600th. He used a higher shutter speed instead of an ND filter to get, quote, crispy slow-mo, unquote. Thoughts on higher shutter speeds for slow-mo? Yeah, if you want it to be precise, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And so what you end up with is no motion blur inside of that if you're really going to slow it down. Um, I think that it is a, I've never gone quite as high as 1600. The natural uh, shutter speed, by the way, would be 1 240th, which is a, a 180, um, 180 degrees. So he went considerably higher than that. Um, a lot of folks will be creative about how that looks. Um, but being able to slow, if you're really going to slow it down, um, you are going to get a lot less motion blur. And I think that that's a look that that he may decide he wants to do. Um, a lot of us actually use less motion blur. If, if I'm, I'm using less motion blur on, um, <clears throat> if you're shooting 120 and you're going to slow it down to make it look natural, oftentimes I use a, I use a 360 shutter, which is 120th. Um, and I find that it, it's more pleasing to look at it real time. But if you're going to slow it down, all that goes out the door. Um, Bill? Yeah, I, the higher the shutter speed goes, it gets kind of a look to it as well. Uh, it And I don't know, I can't really describe it, but I know it every time I see it, that that was a really fast shutter. Also understand that as you increase shutter speed, you're going to eliminate the light or limit the light coming through the lens. This is fine outdoors for open field football on a bright day. But if you're trying to do the same kind of effect inside, uh, you're going to need a lot more light added to the scene to get a proper exposure. Next question. Johnny Hofsey from Tromso, Norway, was listening to a live show on Zoom the other day using my iPhone 13 on iOS 17, newest Zoom client. If using speakerphone mode, the sound was awful and liked Zoom, tried to choose between the music or the singing. Why and how to fix this if possible? Go, Jason. Okay, uh, Ronnie, there are a few things that could be going on here. Uh, I'm not sure if there was singing and music or if you were listening to music in the background. Um, there's In iOS, there's a call kit thing that, that may or may not be at play here. My immediate thought is that um, someone has original sound on um, or noise cancellation off, and it could actually not be you. It could be the the other person on the other side of the Zoom call, and the moment you turn on speakerphone, you get that weird delay loop back, which in turn squashes the return, and um, yeah, it's, it's not really easy to fix. Yeah, I think that... Uh I think I know Zoom's working very hard at this, of trying to make it as easy as possible. I think we're starting to reach the edge of um, physics, <laughs> you know, so of how this works. And so some of these uh, that, that I think we try to make a lot of things easy, but sometimes it's just uh, cleaner audio. But I, I'm going to guess that there is some kind of some version of not original audio on or or and the problem is now is you can turn original audio on but you can still have no echo cancellation on and so there's a whole bunch of things that you can ac accidentally leave on and have it uh, attack it if you're doing music you really have to turn off everything you know otherwise it is going to try to remove things that it sees as constant and that's like strings <laughs> you know <laughs> we might it might see that as as a constant tone so you have to be kind of careful of that next question 
from Douglas Carmichael asking, Twitch, limited stream quality in South Korea to 720p and dropped video on demands in response to a law making content providers pay for the bandwidth they use. Why is YouTube able to offer a full service in that market and Amazon-owned Twitch can't? Courtney? Well, YouTube has, um, you know, Google has deeper pockets probably, and they're just paying for the bandwidth because they're throwing ads into the YouTube uh, stream that you're watching there. And so they're making money off that stream. So if they make enough money off that stream, it may be uh, advantageous to them to pay for the extra bandwidth. You know? Yeah, they're just willing to pay for it. That's why Apple has Dolby. <laughs> it's because they're willing to pay for it. Uh, and so, you know, you're, uh, you know, the, the funny thing about it is, is that Amazon, you know, the, there's a quote from Amazon founder, the founder um, that says, uh, your margin is my opportunity. And um, for other companies, it can be your stinginess is my opportunity. Uh, next question. Roscoe Jones, Madison, Indiana. Neural radiance fields, NERFs, were the talk of Seagraph, but are not exportable to USDZ today. Will these two eventually converge, or are they solving different issues within 3D modeling? They are solving different issues within 3D modeling. Um, you won't have MERFs become USDZ because USDZ is really a, it's, tr it's a true 3D file format. That is, NERFs are, are a field of data and that you're moving through. And NERFs are, I mean, and USDZ is actual models and textures and lights and everything else. So I would not expect the two of them to meet. They might, you know, meet somewhere in the future. Um, but, but with real geometry, um, you know, that's, it's an entirely different world of how they're processing it right now. So I would never say never, but it'll be a long time. Next question. Eric Herz in Hartford, Connecticut has a question. Thoughts about AI-based eye contact correction in Windows. Should more apps like Zoom leverage this or is it just too uncanny? Uh, go ahead, Mitchell. Yeah, it works great until it doesn't and then everything's out the window. So I say it's uncanny. Yeah, like uh, virtual backgrounds and um, virtual blur that's too much. Uh, I would I would probably avoid this like the plague. Um, Courtney? Yeah, I, I kind of agree. Uh, the virtual blur, I've noticed this happening now on uh, news feeds uh, on the major net news networks. They're bringing in reporters that are with high-quality cameras out in the field. They're not from their home studio or anything, and they're adding extra bokeh to the background to throw it a lot more out of focus. It looks very clean around the edges, but it looks unnatural because, you know, their whole face is in focus, but suddenly everything in the background is out of focus. But even when they move, it tracks them pretty well. But it's just you're, something in your brain goes, something's wrong because you never see that in a lens uh, very often unless they're on a 5,000 millimeter lens and have incredible yeah. depth of field. <laughs> I, I really... Um... I really feel like we're going to keep on wanting as human beings to see things that are more analog, more organic, more real, because we keep on adding more and more. When people, like, when you see a, a visual effect or a heavy visual effects uh, film that they say, oh, we, we, it was great that we did everything in, you know, practically. They didn't do everything practically. They were just willing to spend the money to make it look, um, <laughs> make it look like it was practical. And, and so I think that it, it's a, it does take an enormous amount of effort to do these things well. And I think that uh, most people aren't putting that effort in. And I, I think that this is, it might work out. I, I think that, um, but I, I just, I, I, it's what I would continue to call the junkification of, of what we're doing, you know, and that's all the, little AI pre-built all the other stuff. It's just, it's, it's, it's creating this kind of, it's just filling our world with artificial stuff that we don't, 
that I think people are re responding uh, negatively towards. And I think that it's it's impacting people and I don't think they necessarily know it. I think it's a subconscious thing, but they're pushing back on all this stuff because it feel it just it's dehumanizing. Um, and I know that I, I know I sound like an old man talking about it that way, but I really feel like that there's something really powerful about, like, I want to see people's house, you know, rooms, you know, like in what they're doing. And, and when people say, well, I'm going to put a, I'm going to put something behind me. I'm like, oh, you can, but I mean, if you have, you have to hide something, it's fine. But, um, otherwise I think that, that just showing what you have there, um, maybe knocking it out of focus is, is a pretty good deal. Yeah. Go Jason. Yeah, there's a great deal of processing that goes on automatically in our brain in the same way that um, we have binocular vision and and that's why um, HDR is automatic. You know, you don't get that weird halo when, you know, somebody has the sun behind them. Your brain is actually mixing your two irises ever so slightly to get exposure. Same deal with this. One of the reasons you, you, you'll see it on a medical show, but right, you know, follow the pen. What they're looking at in this case is are your eyes perfectly aligning and converging correctly? There is this kind of very, very simple evolutionary thing which says if that's not happening and doesn't happen perfectly, your brain's going to know it. Even if you don't understand um, why something's wrong, your brain will just it'll feel it and it, it, it will just get knocked off forever. So yeah, terrible idea. Mitchell? Yeah, I agree with Jason. I think that, you know, you're competing with millions of years of evolution and body language is where we take a lot of cues from. It's a whole reason that you're looking at the camera anyhow to make sure that when you're sincere, you have a sincere face. And when you're angry, you have an angry face. And these uh, CGI effects uh, don't always get it right. And when they don't get it right, you instantly become suspicious. So I think it has a reverse uh, intended conflict here. Good, Courtney. There's one place where I think this is really going to make a difference, though. It's in uh, translation, multi-language translation. And I've seen, I can't remember, it's one of the keynotes or something recently. I looked at a demo of uh, translation into multiple languages of famous people you know speaking. You know, and they took clips out of movies uh, and had it translate, uh, took that clip, fed it in, say, make it in, you know, Hindi. And it converts it, it matches the lips perfectly, heads are moving, and it looks like, and it even duplicates the voice uh, and the tone of the voice and everything else and cuts that in. And you'd swear that actor was speaking Hindi. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure they, they didn't know how to speak Hindi or whatever language. Uh, and it's really amazing. So something like that, if it, we can eliminate subtitles, because I think the youth of America's get addicted to subtitles uh it would allow people to watch movies in their native language easier without being dis distracted by lips not syncing up and or by subtitles below and i think that that translation can be great for uh you know this distribution of multilingual versions of multi-language versions using ai I think that uh, the train is left on subtitles and it's not because of um, the languages, it's because of the bad audio mixing. You know, like it's, you know, like the, they've mixed the, uh, the, 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 I know that it's a creative choice and what it's done is it's driven an entire world into subtitles. I have, I have family members that won't go to the movies anymore because they'd rather watch it at home because of the subtitles. They can't, they're like, I don't know what happened in the movie if I watch, if I go to see it. So it's an, it is a, I get the creative idea. It is disastrous for the film industry to do what it's, it's art it's ruining doing. art well it's, it's, it's also it's, it's having people building building it they're building 
pattern, they're building behaviors that they will never be able to dig themselves out of. And, and it's, it is, it is for, and the hard part is it's some of the biggest films in the world are doing this, you know, the Oppenheimers, the tenants, the everything else are doing this thing where I, I, we were talking about going to see some of these in the, in the theater and they were like, no, I'd rather watch it at home because I'll understand what happened, you know? And, and so the, you know, and, and that is a, uh, when people start thinking that that's a good idea and they start building that around, you're never going to dig out of that. You're just going to buy a better television and, and a better speakers and then they're never going to go to the theater. And it's just a, it's a horrible, horrible idea. <laughs> like Next question. Next question for Douglas Carmichael. I remember reading about a large concert tour that went out with a Grass Valley K-Frame 4ME switcher. How would you use more than one ME on a concert if the concert is not being broadcast or streamed? Uh, Chris? It could be multiple screens, and they want to do different things on different screens, and they want to uh, retain the ability to dissolve differently on different screens. It also very well may be as simple as somebody wants to empty their warehouse when they send the t tour out on, uh, on the road, and that's what they have, and it looks good, and it looks impressive, and it looks, you know, fancy. Uh, I, I have definitely been on shows not that long ago, where uh, they sent gear that they absolutely didn't need, but it looked good to the client. And uh, that people were spending money on stuff that they absolutely didn't need to be paying for. Go, Bill. I think the ship has sailed. This is for stagecraft. I mean, I don't think there's a major touring artist now who doesn't have LED walls or some sort of projection that's fabulous behind them to enhance the concert. I mean, 1974, I got a chance to see Dark Side of the Moon, and they had a 50-foot Mylar screen that they were projecting these beautiful images on. From that point on, I said, boy, that that's the state of the art now. That's how many years? 50, 60 years ago? So... You know, and if you have that addressable screen, you're going to want the production gear to take advantage of it. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of multiple screens that you're serving, and oftentimes a webcast and record and everything else. So I think that uh, formies are easy to fill up. I, I don't, you know, if I have a formie switcher, I usually fill it up almost in every show because we just because you have it. You throw it in large routers that way too. It's like a bag <laughs> when you have that stuff. You, you get a, you know, someone when we first started doing stuff, we were like, I don't know why someone would need a router for this. We can just use the switcher and a couple outputs. And then when you have a twenty by twenty, you're like, I, I feel really cramped. And you get to forty by forty, and now I'm like, oh, I really need an eighty by eighty. <laughs> so so you you keep on because those services get easier and easier for you to produce as you have more capacity, and you'll fill those formies up and then wish you had an eight ME. Next question. John Preto, Las Vegas, USA, asking anyone else seen this ring around Chrome's favicons? Go, okay, John. Mr. Fenwick, take. So this just happened about, I don't know, two weeks ago when Chrome updated to some version. You see that concentric circle around the around the favicon? And if you hover over it, it tells you that this thing's been idle for so many hours and you've retrieved so much memory back. And and it's really distracting to look at my favicons now with this circle around them. And I guess I'm the only one that's seeing these things. What are the favicons? It's the little icon at the beginning of the URL. Favicon. It's been you don't know what a favicon is, Alex? <laughs> no, I don't Really? Care. It's a competing race know. to the Daleks. <laughs> it's the little okay. tiny icon in, in the, the far tab left of the browser. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I don't look at that very often. 
I, I'm, I'm shocked that John's so distracted by it that he's getting actually less work done than he it was makes, before. It makes all the favicons <laughs> so small. You can't, I can't see, I can't differentiate between them. Just lower Jason. the contrast on your monitor, John. You'll be fine. <laughs> Jason, you're not seeing these things? Do you turn your computers off ever? I don't use Chrome. Oh, you don't use Chrome. Okay. Chrome. Yeah. Bad. Cord- Go ahead, Courtney. Well, I think it serves a purpose is what they've been, they've been taking a lot of heat on all the resources that the Chrome browser uses up because it does gobble up half of your memory. And so what they're trying to do now to uh, ameliorate that is to take uh, tabs that you haven't looked at or used lately and kind of uh, offload them to the hard drive. And that little favicon just is an indicator of how much of it's been offloaded and how long it's going to take to come back to it once you click on it. Next question. Paul Wallace in Austin, Texas. Amazon is set to supercharge Alexa with generative AI. This is big. What will Siri's answer? And what will Google do? The race is on. Can't wait to hear your comments. Go ahead, John. One of my friends worked worked in the Miss A division of Amazon. They, they fired 90% of their staff because it was a pet project of, of Bezos. And once Bezos resigned to CEO, the new guy canceled 90% of the project in the steam with uh, Mrs. A. And so, yeah, they're going to add LLM into just like everybody else is going to have LLM, Siri, Google Assistant, and then the A lady. Go ahead, Courtney. Yeah, I foresee getting into arguments with the uh, Amazon Echo now. It, it already says, you know, I'm sorry, I can't communicate with that product. And you, you say, you, but you just turned it on. And it's going to say, oh, yeah, well, I tried to talk to the Internet, contact the Internet, but it wasn't responding. It's not my fault. So you're going to get, it's going to start making, Lexus is going to start making excuses and getting into a debate with you. It's going to be a lot of back and forth. Already my Google Home, if I ask it to do something and it says it, it's not responding, then I ask Alexa to do it because they're right sitting right next to each other. And then the Google Home, when I ask the ALA to do it, the Google Home will say, okay, I'm doing that too. <laughs> and it will try and do it as well. It's They're already competing with each other and trying to one-up each other. And I can imagine them getting into an argument with each other, just sitting beside each other. Go ahead, Jason. My immediate thought is um, the easiest way to tell whether or not Cortana is on is to ask it whether or not A-Lady is a terrible AI. And um, if you can actually get the two arguing, it just gets even better. Chris? It's like that thing where you you do like Batman used to do with the two phones and you and you, you dial up two Chinese restaurants Hi, and let this, them yeah, argue yeah. with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Next question. Next question coming to us from Douglas Carmichael. I saw a video where the front of house and monitor mixes for sticks were using the rudimentary text messaging function integrated in Digico consoles. Wouldn't it be easier to use a messaging app on a device? I've never seen messaging on a console before. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, it would be much easier, and a scrolling marquee on an amp staff looks way cooler. Go ahead, Chris. They did it because they could. That's the only reason. They did it because they could. Next question. Paul Wallace, Austin, Texas, asking Amazon's new Echo options fully support the new smart home standard Matter. Other than the thread and Wi-Fi, so has Matter really arrived? Uh, Jason? Matter is a protocol, not as feature set, so doesn't matter. 
Very good. <laughs> Pun. Uh, coming up next, we have uh, Corey, Corey Banky. Uh, he's going to be here in just a, in just a second here. Um, but we are uh, just a c- couple quick announcements. Of course, uh, the weekend is coming and uh, we'll have it's going to be testing on. Uh, we're doing HDR 5.1 4K testing for office hours every Saturday. So it may look a little different. <laughs> it may not work the first time we're turning it on tomorrow. Uh, so stay tuned for that. Um, just know that uh, it's going to be testing, training, so on and so forth on Saturdays. Uh, Sunday, of course, is introspection. And um, and it is a uh, so we'll be talking more about why we're doing what we're doing, and we'll be talking about questions and 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 comments and concerns uh, about office hours. So feel free to jump in uh, for that, and um, and so uh, stay tuned for that. And of course, check the email that goes out. We've got a lot of volunteer opportunities, both on the panel as well as behind the scenes and some of the management areas there. And you can find those uh, on the email that goes out um, every every day. Um, you'll also see some of those in Discord. Now let's go ahead and jump into the second hour. Welcome back to the second hour, and uh, I'm, I'm pleased to have Corey Banke here. Uh, he has uh, been a live streaming broadcast producer and director for over 20 years. He spent almost three years as the head of global production and services at uh, Livestream, where he produced over 3,500 internet broadcasts. Uh, he is the lead producer for the worldwide webcast uh, of New Year's Eve uh, over Times Square for over 11 years, and the co-founder of LiveX, and he's behind video, the virtual video control room service that we're here to discuss today. Hey, Corey, how's it going? Hey, Alex. Hey, everybody. Hey, thanks for having me on. It's really, really great to have you. Um, so uh, tell us a little bit about what this, uh, you know, what your virtual video control room is designed to solve. So w- a virtual video control room. So hilariously, I got to say this, it's office hours. You're probably going to see me jitter sometimes because, uh, hey, I, I put Zoom, I put my M1 on Zoom ISO because of you guys. And I changed out an iMac. And then literally in the staging right now, I, this is the show, right? This is the right. show to talk about this kind of stuff. Exactly. Uh, in the staging, um, uh, we're, we're looking at Zoom and the processor is going to like 87%. We're trying to like figure out why. And uh, so it's the fun of the live show yesterday zoom was fine so if i if i jitter a little bit uh apologies <laughs> We've been but there. uh i'm just gonna try to not look at myself i think that's the way to, to the way to yeah, go yeah. about it because i think the audio is pretty good but um so uh so 21 years on new year's this will be uh for me this coming up it's kind of crazy and uh i remember the first time i met you um dnc 2016 i feel like yeah. the first time in person uh yeah. when you were with pixel core so it was fun so what is vvcr trying to solve so virtual video control room is basically trying to be somewhat elemental live without the um without the pain points and also having it so that you don't have to do security groups and back end and aw us um you know everybody on the show probably already does this so they're like why wouldn't i want to do my own security groups why wouldn't i want to tie my own um ndi workflows together but that really is made to uh have rtmp and srt at a very advanced level and be able to go to global regions and have global uh clients um and so let me i'm going to actually share my screen and i'm going to watch my um i'm going to watch my uh cpu ramp up it's going to be good times um so uh 
should be able to see this. So I've got, I got a couple of slides. I just want to talk about the origin mm -hmm. story of this product. Yeah. Um, so you can go to my first one, uh, which is the, the logo and, you know, the product origin. So we launched this in August, 2020. It was actually a very quick launch for the Democratic National Convention of which I worked with Alex, uh, as well as Mark Easton. We had hired, uh, Mark from 090 to, uh, run the AWS, uh, backend because AWS is one of our sponsors. And you can see here this, this tweet, uh, from DJ Sigworth, uh, 821 live feed. So if you think about it, what I always try to tell people, and you guys know this, the back end, right? What you guys do, all the Zoom ISO, all the beautiful stuff you guys do of like testing your clients, getting, getting them on the staging, getting them into the show. Um, you know, VVCR is really the SRT version of that, right? And so uh, the 821 feeds included the feeds that Glenn Weiss, the director of the DNC, was utilizing. So this beautiful shot of Glenn directing the show in his bare feet from his Los Angeles um, uh, home and his wife's crying on the couch. And all of the feeds that he was looking at were delivered via SRT to him uh, using virtual video control room. So, you know, the NEP trucks that are, had a Mikitos, uh, all of our feeds going to and from Delaware, uh, where the where the president elect was pretty much including the VR feeds and the um and the display feeds, right? So we had a graphics display team in Milwaukee that was sending SRT feeds to Delaware that the that the president-elect was looking at. And all of those were, you know, what I call high latency SRT uh, for him to look at. And then uh, we used it on the official New Year's Eve broadcast uh, in December 2020. And then it was used as what I call traffic control for uh, the inauguration for the president. Um, and when I say that, what I'm talking about is the actual inauguration. We actually took the inauguration feed and turned it into a kid's show for Nickelodeon, turned it, repurposed it for like 46 different type of things. And VVCR was kind of used to move feeds around between New York, DC and around the world uh, so that the feed could be picked up by certain stations that weren't, you know, weren't going to take it satellite and weren't going to take it uh, fiber. And then, you know, before I get into the demo, uh, we've now three years straight on New Year's Eve. Now, this is my favorite workflow. My favorite workflow for remote and uh, besides Zoom ISO and besides, uh, you know, uh, any kind of if, if you're not doing, you know, what we're doing right now where we're talking to each other in very low latency. So what we do is we actually have a truck. We take 20 HD feeds. We send them up to VVCR. We can do recording. We can do all the kind of like destinations to the Twitch uh, app that um, that uh, New Year's Eve virtual app. Uh, and then we can bring them down. We actually decode them in New York and then we use VVCR. We send them back up to VVCR and we and we send them out. And one of my favorite shots. I, I, I meant to have this shot uh, is I have the HD 1.45 gigabit program feed on the right of the feed coming in from the bigger truck that we take feeds from. And on the left, I have our decoded program feed from uh, our producers actually producing the feed. And what's amazing is there's a very little discernible quality difference between the two. Like someone like you, Alex, and people on the show are going to be like, I see some macro blocking in the, in the <laughs> 40th that's pixel. That's yeah, what that's do. what we do. But for a regular <laughs> user, it's incredible that you can encode at six megs, right? SRT, right. six to 15 megs, do some stuff with it, turn it back into uncompress and then re-encode it and still get something that, you know, what most people would consider MPEG to television quality. So, and then we do 36 destinations and seen by over 6 million viewers. So, um, this is the time in the show when I can do the product demo. So I will. And the, the big thing I want everybody to know is that you use your own AWS account for VVCR. 
So in this case, we basically bring the VVCR license. So this is the front end to VVCR. And you'll see I'm in an organization right here uh, and you'll see a dashboard right here. One of the big things is, you know, I'm sitting in Green Bay. We're in our Green Bay facility. We have uh, Remy's here. We have on-prem facilities, right? And, you know, the difference between on-prem and cloud for a, for an old dinosaur like me, as far as on-prem goes, is that on-prem's on all the time, right? And it's this obvious thing of like, okay, how do you save money in the cloud? Because if you keep stuff on in the cloud, and I know I'm so talking obviously to this audience, so I'm, I excuse my, uh, excuse me, but, um, you know, the cloud, you got to save money if you're going to make it happen. So right here, uh, this is my backend AWS account of clusters and streams that I have on in virtual video control room. And so we have our dashboard in red, you'll see inbound. And obviously some of you know, inbound on an EC2 doesn't cost you any money. You're already spinning up the EC2. Full disclosure, virtual video control room is completely built on Nimble Streamer. Right. So those of you that know Nimble Streamer, Soft Vellum, Larix, Broadcaster, all those products, uh, we built. So virtual video control room, really, if you know Nimble Streamer, it allows you to spin up streaming instances and transcoding instances. Um, and so here in green, you'll see I've got my outbound. Uh, so that's costing me money. And I can segment my RTMP and SRT data so I can see what's going on. And then here I've got my live monitoring. So I've got six SRT inputs currently. This is my production demo showing me my CPU. I only have one streaming instance. And if I had any multi-view viewers right now, I don't have any, I would, they would be there. And a lot of people are like, hey, why? I saw a question that was like, you know, why wouldn't I just spin up my own EC2 in the cloud? Um, and that's a very good question. Um, and really, not all of us can do that, right? And so um, how we operate is you add your own clusters in your regions, right? And and this is a T3 medium, costs about $120 to $200 a month to just keep it running all the time, which is why we use it. What's really cool about this is we can do uh, about 100 uh, HD feeds on here for multi-view. You'll see we have a status window. Um, adding a new cluster is very simple. I, I can basically go in any deployment region that's available uh, for AWS. Not all of them uh, utilize all the services that we have, um, but all of them that do, we make available. And you can actually configure this so that if you just want to make US East available for your user, for your uh, for your production team, you can do that or Asia, et cetera. And then I choose my instance type. And then I choose whether I want a transcoding instance. And if I want to build a big cluster of servers here, I can actually add transcoding. And then persistent IP, as most of you know, persistent IP, elastic IP goes with your account. And so um, uh, we can utilize persistent IP so that if you want to stop the cluster and then restart it, it will keep the same IP addresses. And so that's why we just actually added that feature there. But I'm going to go to this cluster I have here in US East, and you'll see it is not a transcoding cluster. Okay, that's the boringness of the cluster. Once you do that, once you say, your cluster, it's fine. But somebody else had a question I was told in staging of like, how how limited is VVCR? And the answer is it's virtually unlimited because you have the back end of AWS. So for instance, you know, DNC, we were doing 841 streams across the globe. I've done as many as 2000 streams so far. That's my highest uh, amount. Um, but Again, it's virtually unlimited because I can create cluster nodes that are very, very large. And some of the um, some of our features, which you'll see in streams, I've got these these streams here sitting here. Um, these are SRT. Uh, I'm actually sending SRT feeds from full disclosure vMix boxes. Right? They're not they're not live live, but they're acting as live. Although this camera right here, this is our Harbor camera from Green Bay. I'm just going to show you because it's a very beautiful shot of Green Bay Harbor where I am right now. This is what I'm looking at to my left. Uh, so this is what the JVC. Uh, uh, SRT. This is a JVC camera SRT. You can't see that. Go ahead, Alex. And you, are you still doing Cheese TV? 
Yes, Cheesehead TV. Yeah. And you know what's what's great about Cheesehead TV? You do this watch party for uh for oh 12,000 Packer fans watch me and my buddy watch the Packers. And right. he's in New York. And so what we do is we use VVCR. I send the Green Bay game feed to him on the right. multi-viewer so that he can watch it. It's really hilarious. <laughs> That's so awesome. Yeah. So uh, every stream. So here, here is a limestone test, right? Um, uh, which is just a New York feed. I believe this is a New York one. And you'll see we've got inputs coming in. So, uh, my status, I can see if my packets are dropped, RTT, audio codec, video code. I know that's really small for people. I apologize, but we've got some telemetry data of like how your stream is. I can immediately record DVR here. And one thing I really want to point out is every stream that gets created automatically, we create a pull output type for HLS, RTMP, and SRT. Uh, and you'll see I've got a push destination going to YouTube, which I'm going to show you right here that's showing me. And then we added this really cool feature uh, for output tracks for audio. So you can actually change, I can change my PID. So if I've got, you know, six audio tracks, six, six stereo, sorry, excuse me, eight stereo audio tracks, I can choose audio track one, audio track two, audio track three, et cetera, for the pull outputs. And also this is a really cool feature for you, audio engineers. You, Go ahead. Can you define that for each? each output. Uh, yes. How you do that is in destinations, which is the next feature. So in Got this it. sense, in this sense, right, I've got my pull output types. I just want to define that for the HLS pull for HLS and RTMP. Mm -hmm. um, we have a client who uses this where they're like, because because we we actually default to stereo track one and two, right, right. for the multiviewer. But if you choose pass through here on the SRT output, when the audio engineer pulls the SRT output, if all 16 channels are there, he can then use those 16 channels. Um, even though we were only showing you the stereo on the main page. To answer your question, yes, in destination. So we did this for a translation feature where we had multiple languages yep. on an SRT feed. And then we basically sent the Italian to, to YouTube. We sent the Spanish to YouTube, right? We could send each one and then change the output. I'm going to show you that in one second. Adding a new stream is really simple. Uh, just go to add new stream, uh, choose test. Can, can you have... Uh... I, I'm sure the answer is yes. So I'm just, gonna, but I'm just going to say, I have let's say two um, two streams going into uh, into your system, and they each have 16 channels of of audio, and let's say there's 30 languages. Um, so in those cases, I could I could theoretically go in there and peel off all of those and and send one of those streams, you know, the 14 languages from one of those streams to to these 14 output destinations and then grab the other one, which might be identical except for just the audio and, and do the exact same thing again, right? That, that would yes. be something that'd be... And, yes. And how easy is it to tie uh, a, a elemental link into your system? Is that something you can, you can add as, a, as an input? Currently, how we do Elemental Link is you would have to set the input and then output SRT from the mm -hmm. Elemental Link from from Amazon. But it's very so, simple because right. you basically, yeah, you set the stream SRT and then you get it in. Or you could do RTMP because we do accept. So our input types are SRT listener, SRT caller, RTMP pull, and RTMP push. Got it. Uh, and if I do RTMP, pu RTMP push, you know, it's going to generate a stream key automatically. Uh, some of the things here on SRT listener. So one thing I want to point out is that if I do have a cluster that has multiple instances, we do have single encoder and backup encoder, and we can do single region or multiple regions, right? So I can choose to have failover in my destinations from, so for instance, like one of the great things about AWS Elemental Live, um, I don't know what they call it anymore, Media Live, um, is that you can be sending something 
something to Oregon region, then sending something to US East, and then you can have failover. And so right. we have that in our destinations. Uh, and so here you would see encoder redundancy. So I can actually have metal redundancy or I can have region redundancy and I can actually have both. So it's hard to explain all of them, but we can have both. We do have all the encryption settings. I can set my latency here. And then you'll remember I had an SRT output setting so I can set the latency here. And then also I can add encryption if I wanted to. So I've got my six streams here. Um, they're all pretty good. Um, I'm going to show you the next feature quickly, destinations. I've got an RTMP push happening here. I want to show you here in YouTube. I'm pushing to this VVCR demo right now. You'll see I've been running this since 9 a.m., uh, my time. So it's been running for about an hour 14. I've got hell excellent condition on my stream settings. You'll see it's been running for about an hour and 13 minutes. And you'll see here, I my status is good. And I could just stop this. So for New Year's, you can imagine we just would have 36 destinations here. So Alex, to your point, you would have Italian, Spanish, you know, whatever, all your different right. things, YouTube, Twitter, et cetera. And destinations are really simple as well. This this is what I call her, and I hate to say this, but it, this is like, you know, restream IO, but the difference is you're using Nimble, you're using Transmuxing, you're using a very solid broadcast thing that you're actually able to look into, right? right. One of my problems as a producer is I don't like, black boxes. I don't like things where I just send it to you. And then, it, you know, we just did this event. Uh, we just did an event on, uh, won't, won't name the platforms event. Uh, and you know, we sent it to them and, um, and like for two minutes, there was black and I'm literally sending, I'm literally in VVCR being like, uh, we're good and YouTube's good and all these other things are good. What's the problem? Right. Um, so I just don't like black boxes and, and also the, go ahead. Oh, how do you, oh, no, go, go ahead. Finish, finish, finish what you're saying. Oh no! Well, the uh, the other thing that I, that I was going to say is um, I don't remember. So there you go. Go ahead. <laughs> do you uh, and how do you handle and live view would just be an RTMP input. So live view is really cool. You could do an RTMP input, although we also, I don't know if people know this, but you can do, uh, you can pay monies uh, to live view and you can spin up an EC2 instance. Not large will, monies either. I think it's a couple of, uh, <laughs> It's $1,800 a year per channel, I believe. Okay. So what you can do is you can put your lot, you can basically have an EC2 receiver. Now yep. here's what's cool. Um, I haven't even gotten to this, but we, it, there are three main, main transcoder features that we have. Uh, and one of them is turning any SRT or RT into NDI in the cloud and allowing your vMix. I'm going to show that in a second. But um, what we've done is you take a live view, you send it to the EC2, and then you you basically convert that to NDI, and then I can pick that up. Right. Right. Um, so again, just want to show destinations. I dropped down here. I was telling you about the primary and backup and the audio track. So here's where I would choose my audio tracks of where I want sending my destination. Uh, SRT caller, RTMP push, or VVCR stream, which would go internally into VVCR. If I do RTMP push, we've got RTMP and RTMPS, so I can go to Facebook, uh, put my stream URL stream key. Um, and here is a feature of enable transcoding. So if you do have a transcoder set, um, what's really cool about VVCR that I love is that we're future proof so we can use HEVC. So a lot of times we'll use production workflows where we're using an HEVC workflow. But as most of you know, HEVC is not really an input destination for most platforms. So a lot of times we'll transcode the destination here so that we can, you know, still have the beauty of an HEVC workflow for the whole system, but then, um, you know, be able to go to the platform. And then I want to go to the multi-viewer. This is where the sexy happens. Uh, I'm going to well, be honest where did, with you. In the destination, where were you selecting the, the uh, audio? Um, oh, here. So I go to, I'll go to like, let's say I do a test stream, stream name. And then in the stream name, I choose okay. the primary or backup encoder. And then I choose which audio track I want to use for the destination. So if you had multiple tracks, that's where you'd, you'd select them. And, and are those all stereo pairs? 
they are stereo pairs. So you would see, you would see um, track two would technically be three and four. Got it. Maybe PID IDs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then multi-view. So adding a multi-view is really, really simple. Those of you that have used some products that have multi-views, I'm not going to name those products and I'm really not going to name them. Um, they're a little bit harder. You have to have an app or whatever. I just choose my, my what, how I'm going to do a four box here. I'm going to show you an example in my slideshow of like a, 160 uh, streams for Call of Duty uh, where we're doing 20 and 30 boxes. Um, I can do private, public, password protected. If I do password protected, I need to have a password. And then I'm going to keep all the overlays on. I'm going to push save. And then it's just a drop down. And you'll see here, I have streams and destinations, right? So if you have an encoding monitor situation where you're trying to encode, you're trying to really monitor what's coming out of the system. And I'm sure my my CPU is really uh, taxing. I can, I'm, I'm trying not to watch myself. Um, uh, the uh, I'm going to just choose all these streams right now. And you'll see I have my streams and I push save. And then I'm just going to open up a Chrome browser. Uh, so full disclosure, I'm just opening up a Chrome browser and you'll see all of my SRT streams coming in. And one thing I like to notice, I can go full screen, I can monitor audio on each of the streams. And then if I'm not going to enable my view meters because they utilize the GPU on my system, and I'm sure that's going to make me jitter a lot. So I'm not going to do that. But that would have view meters here for what I call your lazy audio engineers that don't want to actually listen to audio. They just want to look at it. Um, but um, I've got six megs here, four megs here, two megs here, 8.4 megs. So I'm pulling down, you know, 20 megs just to watch the stream, which yep. is great, you know, if you're trying to, you know, direct shows or do whatever. But utilizing our transcoder, we allow proxy views. So mm-hmm. we can actually make proxy views for all of these. So you could make a 200 meg stream for all of these uh, uh, streams you're seeing so that in the multi view, you know, you got a director who's sitting in Bali, they can just, you know, be putting their legs up watching the stream on wi-fi that's great that's um, really good. and, and it's, it really is just something you just kind of decide how many you want to see on the screen what's the maximum on one screen well it depends on your bandwidth like mm-hmm. if i tried it right now like i've done 20 i've done 25 um right. with the transcoder it's a lot easier so like nab uh when we were d- uh, showcasing panasonic uh Kairos right. global control room uh we had uh a 25 box going pretty heavy and you know we didn't have really good internet there so yeah. we use the we use the transcoder and the proxy view um i don't i would say try not to do it's really about chrome right what just full disclosure what these are these are sldp uh players so uh, nimble makes this thing called sldp sldp which is an ultra low latency player what's really nice about this is what I like about this is that, you know, SRT transport, right? You have to you have to get SRT to the cloud, then you got to get it to you. So the RTT can be a little longer than you'd like. But right. by watching it in the cloud, you're you're getting halfway there, right? Um, I like to say. And what's the and what's what kind of latency are you talking about? Well, you know, SRT, I, I personally think it's really hard to get 200 milliseconds with SRT. Mm-hmm. The fastest that I usually get is 500. Yep. Um, but I prefer to do a thousand milliseconds because I feel like um, I've had the most success. Now, remember, well, not remember, you know this, you know, we talk about this all the time, latency bubbles, right? Everybody thinks latency is the enemy. Latency is your friend. You know, it might not be your friend on a show like this, but it's your friend on most productions, right? New Year's, you know, besides the ball dropping at the exact time, which nobody knows, it doesn't really on, on, but you know, YouTube's already showing it 15 seconds later, right? right. And so that extra second, it just gets you through public internet really fast. Um, you know, I think with WebRTC. Yeah, and, and, and for me, latency is it's the only time I pay attention to it is if I'm going to do interaction. So if, if I have you and I talking is I get really stingy about latency. 100%. As soon as we go over that, I'm like, we can put whatever we want in. <laughs> 
know, like because because I, I prefer to see more latency and have more to to your point, see more latency and have more stability. If, if once I'm not interacting and you're getting a, a you know, people get into this betting and sports and why we need yep. zero latency and everything else. But I completely agree with you that that when we're not interacting live and we're just looking at things, you know, going out, um, I always prefer to add as much latency as needed, you know, to, to be super stable. Well, and, and truth be told, you you know this, you you worked on fiber networks forever. You worked on fiber and satellite just like I did back in broadcast days, right? Like satellite latency, I mean, is is a little bit shorter than live view in a lot of cases, right? So like yep. uh, SRT is lower typically than satellite. Now, one thing that for me, the trade-off that I like to to add on to what you said is that these are high. You can't see this in in the in the in the uh, show, but when I'm looking at this, this is better than broadcast quality, right? I'm seeing right. a four box where if I see when when Aaron and I are watching the game, we're seeing that as best of quality as it would be if we were watching. It's better than television in a lot of ways, um, yeah. and you know that's that's where well, I television like on the tail end of cable or, or yeah, exactly, you know, like it's, exactly, you know, yeah, it's, exactly, exactly. Um, so the last, I'm going to just show two more features. One is DVR. Uh, I've got, I, I decided not to add a recording, but I, I have, you just drop down, you set the recording, you push start. This utilizes S3. So what we're doing is we um, dump to an S3 bucket that's tied to your container. Uh, you'll see I've got, right now I've got a two minute and, and two second. In the interest of time, I can play this DVR uh, to so you can see it, um, but I'm going to move on. So you can have DVR. You can, you, this is one of my favorite features, right? Of why using the cloud is like to prove, Hey, my upload was good. It was, you know, you kind of can prove your chain across the thing and also deliver to your clients really quickly. Um, but we do have a, what I call a poor man's live trimmer that we've used for new year's and the Tony's. Uh, and it's very simple, uh, to create a live clip. You do have to have something that's already recorded, but we do have a way to be able to record the same feed 20 times using destinations. So you can easily just stop a record and then set a new one. So I'm just going to do a quick test clip so you guys can see the functionality of the streamer. So it's little, literally, it's not quite Grabio, but you know, I can set my input, I can set my out point. Sorry, in point and out point. I've got one second and one frame um, um, between them. So if I want to go between, I am doing some interpolation and some some data manipulation to get depending on your GOP structure, right? Like, but right. I but I am doing some interpolation to do that, and then I just click save. Uh, the system's going to then you know uh, uh, containerize the file, downloads it, containerize it, and then it's going to be available. I'm gonna. This is the time in the show where I stall for the uh, clip to get completed. It's completed <laughs> successfully, uh, and here I just play the clip, and I've got my 54 second clip. That's that's a little bit smaller, and, and again then, I can download yeah. it. Go ahead. And yeah. how fast can you get it? If you want to send, could you send it directly from here to YouTube or do you need to download it and then upload it? You do need to download it. Although if you have your S3 bucket, one of our roadmap features is to have an API where you can read the the S3 bucket and, and get that. So uh, right. right now you do have to download it and send it um, or you can make it available if somebody has. So for instance, what we do is we'll give somebody a user account like your client and then they can just come in and they can download it themselves. Right. Right. So that's like a way, a workaround. And then the last feature we have, uh, which is really cool. I do want to show the, the settings. Why I want to show the settings is because um, I want to show you guys some of our, our backend configs. So some of the things that we can do is we can make instance types available or not available to the users. Mm -hmm. We can make deployment regions that are available to the users. Uh, 
One thing I want to talk about, we are about to release a Kairos configuration, Panasonic Kairos. But the coolest thing we have is a Parsec configuration. So you'll see I've got my Parsec configuration here. Mm -hmm. um, and why that matters is because our production module. So you'll see I have, these are Windows boxes. It says add vMix instance. But so I can just spin up uh, vMix instances. And somebody had a question about like, why would I, why can't I just spin up my own? So what we're really doing that's cool is we are actually, if you set up a transcoding cluster, is we are tying the vMix, all of the production instances to uh, your transcoder VPC, virtual private cloud. And what that does is it allows anything that the transcoder makes. So we are able to transcode SRT and RTMP, immediately making it available as NDI. And I'm going to show you a really cool workflow next, where we use seven, we had seven translators, seven vMix boxes for the anime awards. And so why that's cool is we're allow, it allows you to use the power of NDI um, across multiple boxes, which to me, NDI in the cloud is a very powerful. Um, and so I just tie this to this cluster. What that does is it says, hey, this Windows box is going to tie to this cluster. I can choose, you know, we have you X larges, uh, G4D and X larges all the way to 8X larges. Yeah, why would you change those? Uh, the 8X larges to, yeah, to the X large? For, for our oh, oh, oh. Uh, for, for me, it's about uh, input type. It's about, are you doing multi-quarter? You know, what, what in vMix are you using? Are you trying to do 4K, right? Like mm -hmm. if you want a really big box, if you're trying to do really big stuff and you want a yep. smaller box, if you're trying to do smaller stuff. Right. Um, and so that spins up a vMix box. And then what's awesome is, okay, I now... So no, you don't have to figure out, you don't have to figure out how to get, you don't have to install vMix. You don't have to figure out how you're going to tie out. I mean, the, you know, to, to come back to that, like, why, why not do it myself? Well, this is going to bring that vMix up with all the IO already tied into your system, right? Yeah, basically what's really cool is, so so this box is automatically configured to your Parsec account. So you open up Parsec, it's in your mm -hmm. team window, right? Two, right. it already has vMix. You put your license in on vMix, you're good to go. And then you literally go to your dropdown in inputs and vMix on NDI and all of your MDI sources are available to you. Right. And those are the ones that, that are from these destinations and, and or from these uh, sources that, you, that yes, you've already created. Yeah, exactly. So the only difference is if you're going to use that work. And the other thing, the other thing I'm going to show you that is, let's say you want to do vMix, but you want to do Zoom. So you want to do old school Zoom, not not Zoom ISO. You want to do like a Zoom uh, uh, garden or a Zoom farm. You can have multiple Zoom boxes, right? So I could spin up these Windows boxes or Teams. Teams allows you to do eight NDI on a box. So what we've done is like we'll spin up a new you know, it says vMix instance, but it's a Windows box. I'll spin up two and I'll have one doing Microsoft in the uh, Teams and the other one doing vMix. And then, you know, you could use it outside of the entire cluster range, which is kind of a cool workflow. I have a, I have a, a diagram and a workflow for that. And here I would just mark the transcoder on. Once I mark the transcoder on, I can then make any stream available as NDI. And the difference to why we don't always use a transcoder or or a streamer is because of uh, licensing, right? It's cheaper to use just the streamer and use transmuxing. Oh, if you don't need transcoding, we 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 don't want you to spend money on transcoding, right? And also, transcoding transcoding is a pain in the ass, not on VVCR, but just in general in life. Um, I'm gonna move this. Uh, <laughs> Good. I'm going to move this over and uh, we will, any any questions? I do have just a couple slides. I want to show some workflows. We'll, we'll finish the slides then we'll go into questions. We got, we, we got some questions stacking up. I appreciate your guys' time. This is awesome. This is and I've been so excited to do this and I'm so mad I'm jittering. So I'm sorry for the jitter, but this is it's awesome. So, not, it's, it's all good. 
Last September, we did, okay, so we did not produce this show, but but we, one of our former producers remembered Virtual Video Control Room. So what you're looking at on the left in this picture, those are the actual Virtual Video Control Room multi-views for Call of Duty Modern Warfare. So, so each one of those is, a, is, a, is just a Chrome window that has, that, that is being supplied a different set of multi-views, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, and so you guys understand this because I've had to explain this to people, but they don't understand it. It's like, switchers only have so many inputs you know they're not unlimited right so you got to figure out where the action is how do you do that so what they did is they sent you'll see there's player feeds and there's game feeds right and so this allowed their producers you know imagine each producer has their own multi-view they could call show on comms and say oh you know uh as 42 is hot right now he's your game leader right and they're kind of moving back and forth really really cool i'm very proud of this use case uh it really went really well um and i wish more esports use it um then the anime awards this is a really cheesy workflow sorry for that but uh and i see now that i'm a little bit pixelated but um the anime awards sent us a program feed to vvcr the anime awards uh was in japan um and what we did is we actually created seven vmix instances we turned the srt into ndi and we allowed each translator on each instance so italian uh spanish i had the whole list here you can see these are all of our production boxes so arabic english English, uh, French, German. So you can see the production modules in there. And what's really cool about that is we didn't have to send feeds everywhere, right? We could just send one feed, turn it into NDI, and now it's available. We saved Anime Awards $200,000 from the from the way they did it last year on-prem, right? So this is what, what I love about having vMix in the cloud and like really easy and fast is like vMix is kind of like, as you guys know, it's like a really cool Swiss army knife to do a lot of kind of cool things that you can think about things in a different way, especially in the cloud uh and then we then used vvcr to distribute this to now, multiple in, countries in this case you're are you sending out essentially a pool feed a clean feed that's going out from uh from the anime awards and then you're adding all the things in each vmix instance you're adding the different languages whether it's lower thirds and graphics as well as translators so you're getting the same raw video feed but then simply packaging it in a different way is it only one feed or are you getting a couple exactly. of different Nope, nope, exactly. You're exactly right, Alex. So so it's one feed, but then, you know, in translation, you need to take the audio, like a lot of times they want the English to be like a little bit lower and then you have the translator on top. And so, right. yeah, we, that's that's what was cool about vMix is it allowed each operator to work remotely and do that for the translator. And then we use vMix call for the translator, right? And, and, were, you, and were you doing uh, the... With that, though, are you changing any of the graphics or is all the graphics staying the same? Are, are, you, are you in vMix, are you changing... Um, individual graphic, like lower thirds are in Japanese or Italian or... For that one, we did for a couple of them. So like, for instance, like I think, um, I don't see it here. We had an Indian feed and Mm -hmm. that was for an OTT platform. And so that one, that one had clean. Some of these did have dirty, right? And Mm -hmm. we just sent it out because it was just translation to YouTube. But some of them did have clean and then we would do exactly what you said. And so that, again, that allows us to do that, which is pretty, is pretty incredible. Um, And then this is the production module workflow I was talking about, right? Spin up Windows machines, vMix pre-installed, parsec control enabled it's configured to the cluster vpc and again right talent can come in on zoom or teams i can see ndi i've got vmix switching and then i can still utilize out of vmix all of the cool features of vvcr and the other way that can be is the talent can come in as srt or rtmp and uh kind of the same thing 
And then our roadmap. So really cool. We announced at NAB, we are integrating with Panasonic KROS in the cloud. So where you see production module will be vMix. And then if you are a KROS customer, you will see a KROS module. And what's really awesome about that is you will be able to spin up K, you will have, in order to use KROS cloud, you will spin up vMix instances. Uh, Sorry, excuse me. I take everything I just said in that sentence back because I think I had my second cup of coffee. So Kairos will be able to, you'll be able to spin up Kairos instances through VVCR. And uh, by the end of this year, we are going to have device management for Panasonic PTCs, which to me is like the most incredible uh, thing ever. Are you going to get telemetry back from those cameras? Yes. Because those cameras have, they have their own telemetry. So you're controlling them, but they're also delivering their, their pan tilt zoom information. Yes. So full disclosure, we right now have, uh, we are working together with our developers and we have, uh, K, we are able to spin up KROSs right now uh, in our dev uh, environment and we're able to have VPN. Um, so we've got that piece and authentication. And then the next piece is to your point. Yeah. Full telemetry, PTZ control on Panasonic uh, PTZs, and then, you know, the ability to control them and, and ideally to, uh, you know, actually like control them and see a, a viewport, yeah. right? Yeah, um, clip, clip edit and publish, publish live. And then I really want to add I feel like it's good to add uh, overlays, HTML5 to destinations. Yeah. We're getting a lot of people who are like, Hey, I want to send a clean feed. And to your point, Alex, I want to have different graphics over, over a set of clean feeds that make a different show. Um, and, and I would think- that be, and so would those graphics be, um, an instance playing in the cloud? then to, to, to deliver those graphics? Well, what I'm thinking, just just V1, because uh, we, we've been successful with this, is add an HTML5 overlays. So you do maybe one or two HTML5 overlays. So you could use Singular, you could use Uno, you could use uh, SFX, I think does. Uh, SPX. That's what you S- guys S- use. What we use S- is SPX, yeah. SPX, right? But And that has a HTML5 integration yep. as well, right? So yeah, so my theory would be like, hey, put the URL in your destination and now you could have your clean feed and then go out. Um, we, we, we started working on it. Um, but really, right now, we're focused on the KROS integration. And uh, technically, we, our plan is to have a demo at NAB New York, a demo demo. We showed it at NAB working together. It worked really well together with KROS. Um, but now it'll be fully integrated. So I'm really excited about that. Um, for those of you who don't know, KROS, is a, a, a KROS on-prem is a SMPTE 2110 uh, uh, computer switcher. Uh, it's a pretty incredible uh, platform. Um, pricing, attach your AWS account to your VVCR account. So you use your own, you, you eat your own AWS, I like to say, and then right. you pay us a monthly subscription based on your usage. What's the subscription fee? Uh, so we right now have an evangelist account for everybody on this channel, uh, $250 a month. We like to do annual pricing, but I'm working with production companies to try to get them to see the ROI on this. Uh, right. For us, we charge $500 to a customer to use VVCR uh, in, right. in terms of like our own managed services, right? If LiveX does a show, we're, we, it benefits us. What, where we've seen the cost savings is instead of bringing multiple encoders on the ground, you know, mm-hmm. we're able to get the cloud and utilize that. So that saves, you know, a couple thousand dollars. So we'll charge them for 500 bucks for, you know, multi-view and being able to see destinations and do pretty much everything we used to charge like a couple grand for or maybe a thousand for. Um, And so I'm trying to get it at a price where I've got, I've got a Bahrain customer. I have two Australian customers, a South African customer. PBS NewsHour used it. Uh, Netflix is using it currently for a live show um, for some for some of the multi-view. We have a lot of really big customers on it. Um, and but really, I, I want production companies to see the value. You know, guys that guys and gals that maybe they don't have somebody that knows AWS really well. So once they do the JSON and get the onboarding up, they can you know kind of see the power behind it and the ease of use. 
Absolutely. We've got some, got. Uh, we've got some questions rolling in. Sure. Uh, I think one of them you already saw, but we'll go ahead and a- ask it again. Go ahead. Corey, our first question comes to us from Ronnie Hofsey in Tromso, Norway. What can you do with VVCR that is not possible running your own vMix on an EC2 instance in AWS using a Parsec as the remote desktop? And how do VVCR differ? What should we look for in these types of solutions? Can you say the first part again? So so how it differs from just doing vMix in an EC2 instance with Parsec? Yeah. Um, yeah. In AWS, yeah. using Parsec as the remote desktop. So I think a couple things. If you look at the Anime Awards example I showed, um, and I just quit keynote, so hopefully my jitter goes away. Um, the uh, if you if you look at the example I showed, the ability to turn SRT and RTMP into NDI and then utilize it in VMix, I think, is very powerful. Also, VVCR does recording and um, and uh, clip and post and destinations, so I think that's really helpful to do. Um, so you know, that's that's I guess what I would what I would say I, the differences. I think that there's a real value in a, a totally integrated system <laughs> you know, like, that, that it's all that does all the things that need to be done. I mean, I think that I think that for folks like Ronnie who do do a lot of this on their own, I think they could put together what they need to. Um, I think at the price point that you're talking about for the core system, uh, you got to look at time versus you know money because I think that it's it seems like it's more cost effective to just take your system and turn it on than to spend the time to to try to cobble all that stuff together and all the R&D that would be required to make it work as well. Well, and um, I, I agree, Alex. It's like if you've done security groups in AWS, it's the bane of my existence. I hate it so much. And I'm just not, my brain doesn't work that way a lot of times. And so to your point, like I, I ask all of my, um, a lot of production people have kind of taken it on that do, that use AWS a lot. Like yeah. I have a, I have a really cool, a really cool TD, Michael Lang. He's in Wisconsin. Some of you might know him. He does MBA and he spins up AWS's and he just used it for a CrossFit event. And he was like, this saved me a lot of time, Corey. Like the, it's really a time versus money situation, right? It's like, does it save you more time, uh, to be able to spin these up and spin them down and, and have, have it available to you quickly? Next question. From Jeff Keithley in Texas asking, can you send NDI inputs into VVCR yet? Uh, no, that is on my roadmap. Jeff, what's up, Jeff? How's it going? Um, <laughs> I, I've been trying to convince Jeff Keithley to get VVCR for two years now. The Working only on. person I've been trying to convince longer is Alex Lindsay. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> next, next question. <laughs> It's uh, Paul Buchan from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Knowing that latency ultimately isn't a huge concern, is there anything in your tools to help keep all your sources in sync with each other? Uh, not currently. Uh, people ask for that. Um, usually what we'll do is we'll use vMix to kind of do our sync. If we have like sync issues, we'll, we'll utilize that like quickly as a tool. Um, really funny though i did this uh we did this packers family night and i had two panasonic ptz cameras and i had the jvc uh camera that i have on the green bay harbor and we used latency to get the sync right all right yeah we've done I that would not we, suggest that by the way but we it does sometimes work <laughs> we used to use the elementals to do that we would you could do up to a 10 second buffer on an elemental on the way out and we would use it to sync the uh, the the video with the captions because the captions were coming separate to youtube via http and so we would we would just slow it down until until they both lined up but the problem is if you get if you overcorrect, no one thinks it's real anymore so it has to be a little behind or or people mm-hmm. are like hey they already knew what they were gonna say anyway so uh, next question 
Douglas Carmichael, could VVCR fit into a fully at-home Remy workflow? Yes, 100%. That's where I think it that's where I think it has the most power because you're at you're on a you're on a full at-home workflow and it allows you the multi-viewer alone, right? In my opinion, the multi-viewer is really where uh, the sexy is like I like to say. And then I think the people see the cost savings in the destination piece, right? The ability to have multiple destinations and kind of uh, move stuff around. But yes, I, I feel like if you, if you're an at home operator and you have a TriCaster or a VMix system, I really think this adds a huge benefit to your overall workflow. It makes you look a lot bigger than you are and allows you to kind of be global, which is, which is really nice. Like being able to get clients outside of the U.S., I think is one of the benefits of remote. Well, and I and I think that it was built from a time when we all had to be at home. <laughs> so, so yeah. I think that, that was, you know, so it has that. That's kind of in its DNA is to be able totally. to be, be able to do it anywhere. Uh, next, next question. Ronnie Hofsey is back from Tromso, Norway. What is the outer limitations of what you can do with VVCR, and what is the best way around it? And what do you roadmap? Uh, what does your roadmap look like? Oh, great. Well, I, I shared my roadmap. Our big roadmap is Kairos um, integration and then um, uh, HTML5 overlays potentially. And then uh, a lot of people are requesting a true live trimmer um, because, you know, for sports and not just live trimming, but being able to publish two destinations to Alex's question earlier. The limitations, there really are none. And I know a lot of people say this, okay, but the limitations are Amazon Web Services, <laughs> which, you know, is like, what are the limitations of it? You know, like, so what I, what I love about it is, you know, like I said, the global nature of our clients, right? The, for, I can spin up servers where people are. A lot of times what we'll do is if we have first mile issues, we'll spin up a vMix instance in a server where the client is, right? If they're in the West Coast or whatever, um, or in India, we'll spin that up. And then the fact that it's with uh, AWS, AWS's pipe between itself is really fast. So right. again, like, the limitations are in your mind. Right. Next question. Douglas Carmichael asked, uh, with the success of remote at-home workflows, especially during COVID, do you think that your product could eventually be the death of the conventional control room truck with everyone in the same space? God, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I know, mean, I, I think that I think that sometimes you know I think that there's there's somewhere in the future where we're doing this all in the cloud and we all turn it on. I think that when I walk into a truck, I realize there's a there's a there's a reason this truck is here, you know, like, you know, and, and so, you know, when it comes to some of these things, so, uh, you know, when you, when you look at a, uh, you know, the Thursday night football, we have the, um, you know, you look at those big trucks, it's a lot of IO and it's a lot of very, very low latency IO and it's a lot of mission critical IO and it's all right there at the venue. Um, I think there's a lot of places where you don't need that truck, obviously. Um, but I think, and cause even with pack 12, you know, pack 12, before their demise, um, had figured out how to take all of their smaller stuff and pull it via Internet 2 back to San Francisco. And then they just did the whole show there. You know, they had the the commentators and everything else. And you, you're commentating on the on the green. I, 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 I draft on Corey a little bit because I watch his I watch I watch a little bit of the Green Bay shows because I want to do it for Pittsburgh, you know, and, and you so should. I know I know. And, and so but we've been talking to some players and because and, yeah, I want to do I was like, I want to bring some players in and I do all this other stuff. And so um, but I it's think like Manning cast, right? It's like before Manning cast. That's what we do, basically. Yeah, you should it's, do that. It's that Manning cast when when they don't do all the goofy things. You know, the, the funny thing yeah, about yeah, Manning yeah. cast is like all you need to listen to. I know we have a little time here. So we're just, all you need to do is listen to. uh the two Mannings talk, when they talk inside football to each other, it's a golden show. 
And then when the stupid producers add all the goofy things to it of extra guests and everything else, I'd be happy to just watch the Mannings talk to each other as quarterbacks and watch a game and not have, you just, you don't need anything else. Like, yeah, I agree. Just, you know, I agree. You know, and, and so I think that, but, but I think that that's the, the real power of this kind of remote production is the idea that, that, um, uh, that we could be building multiple shows out of the same content, like a football game. There could be 10 of us doing different ones. And in fact, you yeah. know, whenever Green Bay plays Pittsburgh, you can have, you know, Corey having his show and me having my show and, you know, maybe even find a way to cross over the, at the end. We yeah. argue with each other. And, and it's the same it. feed, right? And it's like you, you're you're benefiting off of the same feed. Yeah. We this, this this is where I was, re- the inauguration really was the whole Nickelodeon show we did. We yeah. actually sent the feeds and it was crazy because our director, Lenore, she was in uh, Washington with me and yeah. then our team was producing the show in New York. Yeah. And it was just great because like i don't know i love it i love it i love remote um you know remote's here to stay i know everybody got sick of it during the pandemic but i always say all we did during the pandemic was we learned everyone learned how to use zoom that's all that really happened. We actually went behind as far as like where we were. Like we we were way more ahead in 2018, 2019. Now it's cool because they made WebRTC better. I don't know if that's the greatest thing in the world, but it did get a lot better. Um but yeah, we learned how to use Zoom. Yay. We did it. Next question. Next question from Kyle Hammond in Chicago, Illinois. What is the smallest production you've seen use VVCR? Ooh, uh Packer transplants, Packer, Packers watch party. Uh, that's actually like the smallest, right? We had, um, uh, we use it all the time. It, it, again, like when you need to send, you know, what's funny is a lot of producers will ask us for TV feeds, right? Cause they want, they want really, really high end kind of like, Hey, go from your spectrum box or your cable box and send us the feed for internal production use. So that's like a small version, but, um, no, we do, we do multiple small two man, you know, vMix shows and we just spin up vMix and, and we do the show and the operators sitting, you know, our operators are sitting in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, one guy running the show. And that's the smallest. And, and right now you're using for the interaction between folks, are you doing that through SRT or through some teams or Zoom or other things like that when you're talking to each other? We use vMix social, we use vMix call for the interaction between right. each other. And then we use VVCR for like records and we use it for seeing the game feed, right? Like right. things like that. Next question. Douglas Carmichael wants to know, could you conceivably add Zoom ISO to the VVCR back end? Yes. The question is yes. No, the problem is I believe Zoom ISO currently only works on Mac. Uh, yeah. And as most of you know, AWS charges a crazy amount to uh, spin up Mac servers. But uh, if that changed or if Zoom, I'm, I'm surprised. And Zoom Rooms it, right now will do four outputs, I think. So got you it. can get, yeah. So, so you and get do some. you think Zoom ISO will ever, I mean, Alex, you guys would know better. Is Zoom ISO coming to Windows or or? No. I don't think I'm in a position to comment about that. So, yes. So, the answer <laughs> so, yes. is yes. We've just no, found I, out I, the answer I, is yes. Not, it's uh, yes. It's it's, you've heard it here on Global Office that Hours. Yeah. That would be um, great. I mean, no, I would love, we we thought about integrating Zoom itself into, you know, vMix just announced uh, Zoom support uh, at IBC uh, for uh, vMix Beta 27, I believe. Yeah. And so, what's cool is you could utilize vMix to get your Zooms in, and that would actually be kind of cool. Um, so, yeah. Next question. Paul Buchan from Columbus, Ohio, wants to know, a lot of your features sound similar to what services like Bitfire offer. Is VVCR more of the DIY versus those others with full master control infrastructure? Yeah, I, I love Bitfire. So Bitfire is if LiveX, if LiveX, it's kind of like, I think Jeff Keithley is making something very similar where I consider Bitfire a managed service. 
VVCR, you're using it by yourself. You will never need me. You will never need to touch me. If you want to make a control room with VVCR, you go for it, right? Uh, what I love about it is it is once you do the onboarding, you get to make your own users. Alex can be like, I want this user on the account. I want this user. You can get permissions. You can granularly go, I want this person to have DVR control. I want this person to not be able to spin up clusters. I think, you know, a managed service is another level above, right? And and truth be told, LiveX offers these type of managed services, right? Like Call of Duty, we did a managed service on VVCR, right? So I think if you tie LiveX as a streaming services company to VVCR, that's like Bitfire. But honestly, VVCR is really its own product, right? It's, it's you get it, you take it. I have clients who never call me again, and I'm watching them doing crazy shows and, and just doing awesome stuff. So that's what, that's the difference, right? Next question. Jeff Keithley, somewhere in Texas, uh, on the Keros integration. Can you send back out their multi-viewer? Uh, you will be able to, yes. Yes, there's going to be full integration. So so currently how we showed the demo at NAB is basically SRT streams into VVCR, and then the SRT streams are in the same VPC as the Kairos box. Kairos sees the SRT streams uh, back to VVCR for program and destinations. So the integration is going to be a lot easier than that, so you don't have to put IP addresses for every camera into the Kairos integration. Um, so it'll be fully integrated, and then as we come out with it, we're going to integrate it even more. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, would you ever offer VVCR on other clouds or even a self-hostable version? Yes, I would love to. I just need development money. <laughs> I'm waiting for Microsoft to, uh, hey, we need this. On, although they just gave up on media services, didn't they? The Microsoft just sold off their media service. I don't think they're going to be. But yeah, I would love to put it on Google. I want that Google money. Hey, Google, I, I, come at me, bro. <laughs> Next question. Eric Hers from Hartford, Connecticut. Would you get lower latency if you used MPEG TS with forward error correction rather than SRT with an arc buffer? Woo! That's you, now you're now you're those are fighting words. I I don't know. It depends on your network. Maybe, maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think ARQ is better for broadcast and and what SRT has built as far as robustness. Mm -hmm. Right. I used to use MPEG TS channels um, back in the day when you're doing the FEC correction. Uh, I can't remember the product. Atemi. Atemi had a product that did that. Uh, a bunch of other companies had that. It was just like $10,000 a channel for the encoder on a lot of that stuff. Um, the nice yeah. thing about SRT is that literally Black Magic is incorporating SRT into everything. Like Majewell hat. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's everywhere. Yeah. And, and, um, I have a lot of experience with MPEG with FEC. Yeah, you I, do. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I use it pretty regularly, and I'm uh, not super, not super excited about it. So, so I would, I, I don't, I would much rather use SRT and uh, with ARQ than than uh, MPEG uh, TS with FEC. I don't think the FEC, I don't think that setup is nearly as stable as SRT. So, it's reg regardless of latency, uh, you're, there's all kinds of hits, breakups. Um, uh, packet loss, uh, the attempts, uh, you know, can, can have issues with um, single packet loss. And what you'll hear in it is randomly. And it's really, it's not that, not that often, but you'll hear this little ticks that happen. Um, and uh, it's really hard to dig that back out. It's, it's something that's really hard to, it's like little, it's like little thorn, like a thousand little thorns after, after you hit a cactus and you're trying to pull those out. Um, so I would not use, I would not, I, I work on systems that use the MPEG with FEC, and I would not choose them uh, 
on my my myself. <laughs> so, anyways, we'll leave it we'll leave it at that. And I, and I will say, when you look in VVCR and we have the the telemetry settings, what's kind of mm-hmm. interesting is SRT can have packet loss, and you don't see anything like you see right mm-hmm. here with my jitter. Yeah. You know, it's it's incredible. Next question. Kyle Hammond in Chicago, Illinois. What is the largest so far production that has used VVCR? I would say DNC 2020, honestly. Uh, yeah. Just the, the the sheer fact of, you know, we, we moved the president from Milwaukee to Delaware four days before the event. Like... <laughs> what and then literally the graphics team like the graphics team so there were like i guess a hundred of us in milwaukee and nep trucks just had to get lots of makitos and it was like makito city and you know it everything you saw for the dnc was all srt it's incredible like it's incredible then i i do not want to take responsibility for the engineering i just came up with a lot of like hey we're going to do this but i mean man it i would say that and then call of duty and then and then probably Call of Duty. Yeah. And then probably New Year's. Uh, the New Year's workflow, I really, I don't understand why more people don't utilize that workflow. Um, a lot of people utilize that on-prem, the on-prem SRT to SRT, MVC, you know, the, those, those type of companies. I know a lot of people use Zixie for the, this kind of, uh, similar thing. Um, but it's a great workflow for as far as remote goes. Next question. Roscoe Jones in Madison, Indiana, asking, is there a 4K workflow or is HD much easier to work with using VVCR? So we fully compatible with 4K. So we are compatible with H.264 and H.265. So uh, Makitos, you can get an upgrade on the X4 uh, to HEVC uh, 4K. Uh, I think it's like $1,600, might be a little bit more. But uh, yeah, we will take full H.265 uh, resolutions. And so that's where I was going with the destinations where transcoding on destinations is so important. I love the HEVC workflows because you get like, you get the bandwidths a lot less. It looks really pretty. Um, and then, and, you know, the ability, the big thing is what one, we needed to add uh, transcoding on destination so we could get it still to YouTube. And also, I wanted to, to say we have, uh, we do, ha- we are not certified for SRT to YouTube, but we in, we have participated for the last three years as part of the SRT Plug Fest, which is where all the vendors plug into each other. And I'm happy to say we are fully compliant with like every SRT vendor. And uh, we have uh, had success uh, doing SRT to YouTube, which I called out. I called out at DNC to Alex. I was like, SRT is going to be in everything. And and all the Amazon people are like, what about wrist? And I'm like, what's that? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah. Uh, next question. Ronnie Hofsey again from Tromso, Norway. Okay, looking cool. When can we do a lab? Let's go. Uh, go ahead, Alex. We'll schedule it. We'll schedule. We'll schedule it with Corey. We'll we'll get a lab. Get a bunch of us uh, what, working. Wait, on what's it. a lab? I don't even oh, know what so, that is. So office hours only is only a two hours a day. After hours is twenty four seven. So in Zoom, we all sit there and there's we build and and, and we build labs and so there it's open oh, all cool. the time. It's it's sometimes you know sometimes there's a lot of talking. Sometimes you'll just see a bunch of like people's uh, stills up there. But if you start talking, suddenly everyone starts turning. It's like it's like the ultimate global water cooler and so um so but it's it's on 24 7 and so but in those we schedule labs where instead of us just talking about this you start to work through it and the lab can be an hour or two and you're just kind of doing stuff and answering questions and working through those and sometimes everybody's working on them together and there's a bunch of different ways we could do that so so we'll talk to you about doing a lab i think a lot of people would enjoy it i think oh that would be awesome 
Yeah, I would love to make it available. We can actually send streams around the world and stuff and yeah. see the and really test it out. Like the cool thing is everything I've demoed for you was the actual product and I never, you know, it's that'd be awesome. Well, what's cool is is that we might be able to work with you on building some very scalable tests because we have people all over the world that have cameras and gear and things and so we might be able to turn turn it on and go, "Hey, we're going to, you know, grab five continents of some kind of coverage and feed it back into, you know, like of something. Yeah. Um, so check latency, yeah. see RTT times. It's fun. It's fun. That's stuff. where you, you real world use cases where is where it's at. That's where I think when people see SRT, they see how freaking incredibly stable and, and amazing it is. Yeah, absolutely. Next question. Roscoe Jones from Madison, Indiana. Why did you need to, or what did you need to do to configure the production bot? Did your clients need a pre-made kit? Oh, so Production Bot is a piece of hardware that we sold. And truth be told, Martin Sinclair at vMix, and I have a great relationship, have had one for over a decade. And vMix didn't want to sell hardware anymore when I left live stream. And they had this box with uh, Acme. So full disclosure, Acme video in Azusa, California. They build our box and it's called Production Bot. And it's a vMix system. It has Aja Corvid 44s and Aja Corvid 88s cards in it. And honestly, anybody can build a vMix box, right? I'm not the first person to do this, but this box is portable. It's kind of like the old live studio and the yep. idea was you could put it in instead of putting it in baggage you could put it in a carry-on and know that you've got your switcher <laughs> because right. those of us know that that's yeah. a big deal if you actually yeah. need to do that you know how far it, it was dropped because you're the <laughs> yeah. only one that dropped you're the it. only yeah, exactly. one that had it exactly <laughs> i i've actually full disclosure i've taken a tricaster 850 about 10 years ago to new zealand from new york and i and i put it in the in the carry-on, in the in the upper thing, I don't think you could get away with that anymore. <laughs> I got an elemental. The, the, I got an elemental in the carry-on one time. Because oh my was, god! I was very persuasive. Crazy. I was very the big persuasive. one, the thirty-six inch. The, the, it, the it, big, was the, it was the it was the HP Quiet one, the eight hundred that was like the That's choline true. special. And um, anyway, yeah, it was it was there. And I had when you're flying Virgin and the show you're doing is w with Richard Branson, you can pull a little harder than than normal. Like if the show doesn't work, I'm going to remind remind everybody. Who, who said yeah. I couldn't put it I'm on I'm going to tell him your name and <laughs> <Yeah>. your number. <laughs> exactly. Uh, next, uh, next question. Next one in from Jesse Mills in San Francisco Bay Area. Is AV1 on the roadmap for VZ VVCR? Hmm, not, it isn't. Um, I haven't had a business use case. You know, I'll be honest with you. I, um, everything that comes out of my brain, I want to do everything all at once and all times. And then the business catches up to me. So, yeah. uh, you know, uh, honestly, I have this, I have, uh, in my Trello board, I have this whole thing that says, wait till business. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> so it's all, it's all my things I want. I think AV one's over there. Yeah. Next question. Douglas Carmichael, could VVCR be used for non-broadcast applications like remote observations from scientific sites? Yes, 100%. So that's why we added RTMP poll because so, so for instance, I run a couple cameras on the top of two times square to look at billboards. And so we've also been in talks with like medical, um, because of the SRT encryption. Um, you know, the encryption piece of SRT is so powerful, but yeah, we can pull in RTMP polls off access cameras and things around the world. And then they can allow you to kind of turn them into other things, use them in vMix, you know, maybe make a, it's kind of, you could make a, a, a cheaper like a bird cam or or, you know, yeah, 100%. That's great. Corey, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I'm so, so much happy fun to, to have be on you the on. show. I know. <laughs> I'm so happy to be talking to you guys. So we'll, we'll figure out some labs to do and we'll, we'll play with it. Maybe we even do a demo of uh, doing, trying to do uh, office hours inside of, inside of the, your system. So we'll, Oh dear, we'll that would be like great. Well, waiting for the latency between each other, like you're well, trying to talk and I think you're trying that, to I think up. we figure out how we do it the way we do it, which is that we deliver you back. Like we could, we could deliver 
USRT, you know, from our system. Oh, yeah. We're still talking inside of this system. And so like we do with Zoom ISO, but without all the hardware, I have to, I may have to move our hardware next next month. So this may be a real good time. Didn't you guys just move? Aren't you on, you're on like V2 now or are you on V3 of your hardware? Uh, I saw the whole thing, your whole stack. It it doesn't move as much as just evolve. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're definitely, um, we're about to start testing again, the the HDR 5.1 4K stuff. And so we're, you know, as a place for us to, I find the easiest way to, to your point, the easiest way to learn how to do something is just to start doing it, you know, and so we're going to start doing it once a week and then we're going to start doing it every day and we'll get to a point where we don't think about that very much anymore. So anyway, wow. so we're, it's, it's a good, it's a good little lab to, to work in. Um, thank you so much to the producers for um, great having you here for the first hour and the second hour answering all those questions. We can't do this without you. Thanks to the, uh, uh, the producers for all the great questions, both in the first and second hour. And thank you to the incredible team that puts this together. We have a very complex system on the back end that, that does all the, the um, decision process and everything else. And there's developers that make all of that work. We really appreciate it. There's management that makes sure that Corey knows where to show up and how to, how to be here and everything else and prepares, prepares everybody for, for joining as well as all figures out what we're going to do for these second hours. You know, we do this five, five second hours a week and we, there's an incredible set of teams, the councils that work on that and um, the management team, uh, uh, Josh and Roy, that, that are making sure that we have something to talk about uh, every single weekday. And, um, and again, uh, thanks to uh, everyone who makes this happen. It's really a, all of us building a show for all of us. <laughs> so uh, we traveled 62,000 miles in the Tlaloc Traversal today, 100,000 uh, kilometers, and that is 493 million bananas for scale. All right, let's go ahead and jump into After Hours. That was great, Corey. That was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. It was fun. Thanks. Good job. Great data done. It's going to be Yeah, thank time, you guys. Except for the next jitter. Time you're, I'm sorry. Uh, in you know, it wasn't that noticeable because it wasn't we, noticeable it, at all. Because yeah. you, their screen, it was up most of the time. <laughs> and oh, you, gotcha. you, it, it really only hiccuped a couple times. It's so weird because it's this iMac, and then it's like, I think I didn't, I need to upgrade to Ventura, and I just, yeah, nah, I test, yeah, legit. whatever. Yeah, you know. Corey, if you come back to uh, Delaware for the DNC, uh, dinner's on me. Oh, nice. Are you, yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. I'm definitely yeah. coming back for DNC. I don't know what we're doing yet, but um, we're actually building um, DNC Studio A and B in D.C. Um, right. And so we just ordered all the gear and then we're about to do it. And it's funny because you go in their studio and like it's layers of four years. Every four years, there's new technology. So you can see like 1984. <laughs> like there's this like there's this. What is it's the like name geologic of that? layers like a pinball museum? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, Drill down. it's like, yeah, it's like, what is that router? Uh, it starts with a P. They make a big uh, blah, blah, blah. they have these like it's an they have, a, they have an 80 by SD router in there. I was like, right. oh, my goodness, that's got to go in a museum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thanks, man.